Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined by Maha Reports, AJ Schulte. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, uh, I'm excited, man. We're finally getting, I think we're about, what, eight days? Nine or eight days away from the start of the draft. Denver doesn't have a round one pick, but that doesn't matter. doesn't matter. we got Russell Wilson. So I'm excited, man. Draft season's kicking up, and it's the best time of the year. I have been told that Russell Wilson is the Broncos' 2022 first-round pick. Uh, I have also been informed that I should ignore the fact that the Broncos traded a second-round pick and then a fifth-round pick and then next year's first and second-round pick for him. But he is the first-round pick. Uh, In eight days, the Broncos draft. Um, in seven days from when you guys are listening to this, the draft begins. Uh, there is a possibility that the Broncos could trade up into the first round. I don't believe it'll happen, but never say never. Uh, before we kind of get really into the the meat of it, uh, if you guys do not follow AJ on Twitter, go do it. He is at AJ Draft Scout. Kind of wanted to start with any any thoughts about the ownership stuff, just because that's I know that's kind of percolating in the background. Um, to me, it seems like Walton is going to end up running away with it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I think there's too much smoke around the Walton situation. I mean, Mike Cliss wrote that massive puff piece about him being, you know, an Ironman triathlete or whatever, like calling Colorado his future home. Like, I, I think there's too much around it uh, for it to not be. And I, And who's going to outbid the Waltons? 
Like, like seriously, who's as much as the NFL will want a minority owner, like, like I think they would push for for Allen. I do. I think they would they would try and push him. Um, I believe he's a minority owner. Byron Allen. The the no, fact. I've got my ass. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. The fact the fact that uh we haven't seen anywhere near the effort of puff pieces for the other owners who have begun to emerge does confirm to me that at least like local media does seem to believe Walton is going to be the guy because otherwise we'd be seeing glowing pieces about everybody else and it, and it hasn't really happened yeah. yet. Uh, so I'm looking forward to great value stadium at mile high. That's, that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I'm hoping it, you know, it leads it's, to some buybacks on tickets and it's a little bit cheaper rollbacks on tickets and a little bit cheaper, but probably not worth counting on. But yeah, it's it's, it's, to be it's the uh, you're you're getting it wrong. It's Mountain Lightning Field ah, at okay. at Great Value Stadium. That's what that's what. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> listen, it it has mountain in it. There's that's that's at least a mile high sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> I just love this uh, this whole idea that because he has seventy billion dollars, he's going to be the best possible owner. And again, he might be a great owner. We have no idea. Like that's that's honestly the truth of it is we don't know he hasn't he doesn't own a sports team uh yeah. but the fact that he's that rich and that means he's going to be a good owner well dave tepper is currently the nfl's richest owner and the panthers are and he's and he's yeah. shit show yeah like they're a mess the, uh, the, thing, I, the thing that stands out to me and maybe like it, this is more of like a rubbing off kind of thing but i believe his like father-in-law is uh, Stan Kroenke, the owner of yeah, yep, the Rams. I think it's his father-in-law, or like they're they're related somehow. It's like his cousins. Like they're not. I they're not know. fathers. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Um, and so like, and he's a great owner because he just basically says, "Yeah, I'll just front the money for whatever. You go, you less need, you go do you." And that's that's all that an owner kind of really needs to do is like expand and like increase the value of the franchise. And then just like stay out of, out of the football stuff for about ninety nine percent of it. Yeah. Yep. Like, I think I think Jerry Jones does a great job as a businessman with the Cowboys, but I think he's oh, too I think much he's horrible into football. Yeah. I think he's too much with the football, but I mean the the value, the business value of the Cowboys as a brand. I mean they're the most valuable sports franchise in the world. Yep. Like he's done a great job with that, but it's like I wish I, I, owners sometimes stick their nose too much into things and i think and that's that's all i'm hoping for with the new owners that he's just as like like he he handles the business and like if they need a new coach or they make a big move you know he he has full rights to like sign off but just kind of stay out of the way of a lot of the football stuff that's because i feel like david tepper with the panthers has put a lot of pressure on the staff and to get a quarterback to get i mean like you see them they just make all these aggressive moves and it's not worked out well it's pretty it's pretty typical of a new owner too to come in and want to make big changes to the football operations and that and that to me is kind of like the big concern with whoever the broncos end up selling the team to is george payton is in year two he finally got a quarterback a new owner might come in and decide you know what i really want debo samuel I don't really care that we have to blow up the entire team's long-term projection to do it. That's fine. I want Debo Samuel <laughs> to sell jerseys. That's good for me. Yeah. Like that's my yeah. concern. Um, 
like I think every like any Broncos fan who really thinks about it probably agrees that ideally he is basically just the guy that wants to win, puts the right people in place, lets them do their jobs. Because that's kind of what Pat Bolin did for the most part. Yeah. But there's a lot of teams out there that that is not what happens. So no, no, there are there are a lot of interfering owners. Like I I think the best like football owner is probably Robert Kraft. I think the way that he's just basically just let Bill do Bill. I think I think Robert Kraft from a football standpoint, we we can get into his personal habits in a different conversation. But I think from a football standpoint, he does a good job of just. You know, Bill comes to him and says, hey, I want to do this. He's like, okay, what do you need? Like that, that the GM and owner should be in sync. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the Browns with Andrew Berry and Jimmy Haslam are and, doing the same thing. And that's why I would say it is a concern that the owner is coming in after the GM was hired. And I've been mentioning this and kind of alluding to this. And this is one of the reasons why I thought it did not seem likely. And this again, this is, you know, kind of getting off into the weeds. But before the Russell Wilson trade, it never looked likely that George Payton was going to let Drew Locke and some random flotsam backup quarterback compete with him for a second year because there's no way George Payton would survive that with a new owner coming in. Like yeah, he had yeah, to bring in no a quarterback way. to give himself it, a chance to stick around long term. It, it didn't matter. Yeah. How well he drafted. It, like, it didn't matter unless he unless he had spent the ninth pick and hit on a rookie quarterback, which like we're sitting here going probably not. And I dare say that I think that that is why the Broncos are basically kind of a playoff or bust this year, just because yeah, I, I, if they, if need, they like, have a disappointing a season, this new owner might say, well, I didn't hire these guys. What do I care? Like, and again, I'm not trying to spell, you know, spell the doom and gloom, but, but all these puff pieces are kind of trying to treat it. Like this guy's going to come in. Everything's gonna be hunky dory. We don't know that. That's all I wanted. Like, you know, I hope, I hope everything goes smoothly. Yeah, we, we just, yeah. But, but be prepared. It might not go that way. That's all. I'll, I'll start to really sweat the owner stuff once the owner stuff's in place. But I, I've had a lot of people, like I've, I'm having people message me at this point and be like, oh, you hate Walton. Oh, you hate this. It's like, it's not that I hate any of them. I honestly, I feel pretty meh about, like, I don't, I, I'm not the person that's going to like buy a jersey for the owner. Like, I don't give a shit about this billionaire coming in the team as long as you do the right thing for the team I care about. Uh, my whole thing is kind of, it's just kind of cringy watching the level of like selling out people are doing to try and pump, yeah, like pump it, these guys up. Um, just because it's all yeah, bullshit. Like Rob Walton what, is not Peyton Manning. Like, I'm sorry. Like comparing him to Peyton Manning is sickening. Yeah. Yeah. And with the way, like the ownership in the NFL doesn't work like it does in the MLB and other leagues. Yeah. So like really, I mean, you're talking about an owner that's going to, not impact football operations that much they shouldn't so it shouldn't yeah yeah that's that's the big key shouldn't like who why who cares like you you're like we could kind of tell that walton is gonna put up some four probably like what 4.1 4.2 billion dollar bid nobody's gonna come close to matching that because he's the waltons <laughs> and like that's that's it. That's all that, that until he starts to make those decisions. Otherwise, like I, I, I'm not getting myself worked up personally. Like to me, to me, it's like examine the team performance at the end of the season for right now. I don't, I don't really care. Yeah. But like yeah, I said, I, I mean, unless they hire some owner that just comes in and it's like putting everything to the chopping block, like 
you know, which shouldn't happen, but it does. And that's un that's an unfortunate reality. And again, we just don't know. We just don't know here. Yeah. So with a week, with a week to go to the draft, I think it'll be, you know, a little bit more fun to let's, let's kind of turn to that. And one of the things I wanted to do, because I know you're working on your position rankings at this point. Uh, yeah. I am, I am building something resembling a big board. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun to kind of look at kind of at each spot that we think the Broncos still have needs at. First of all, I think we should try and identify what the actual need is just because they're not the same. Um, kind of like where, where it makes sense to look at those players, whether it be day two or day three, again, we're going to assume that George Payne is not trading up into the first round because as I looked at last, I think for Monday, I, I looked into the rich Hill trade uh, chart, which supposedly is one of the closer ones to how the NFL operates. The Broncos would need to basically sell their entire draft to get up to like 22. Uh, they're not going to trade up into the first round. I would be very, very shocked unless they're trading players. Uh, and if they're doing what that, do you mean? PFS mock draft simulator got me all the way to pick 12. <laughs> yeah. I got to pick 10 on the draft networks, which is wild to me, but, but I, it's not. Yeah. I, you can get, you can get up to 10. You can, you can draft Derek Stingley if you want. Uh, uh, this is, this is this is a personal side note, but we can keep it in. When I was running quality control for the PFN simulator when it first debuted, you used to be able to just sell the first overall pick for literally every pick in the next two drafts when, when it first when it first came out. I mean Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, right. But but no, assuming that that doesn't happen though, the Broncos are gonna have picks on day two and day three. Uh, so I thought it would make sense to look at it. Cause again, at this point, it would be kind of shocking if the Broncos make any sort of real trade or anything like that, that really addresses any of their moves or any signing that really addresses any of their needs before the draft. I would think that the Broncos are probably going to go into the draft with the roster they have right now. And if they have needs afterwards, they might try and sniff around what's left of the free agent market. But the draft yeah. is how they're going to try and address these needs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like you, you'll probably see like I, I believe after the draft they won't count for comp picks, which they won't have any, so it yep. doesn't matter. But you've seen a lot of free agents sit and wait. Like Jarvis Landry still hasn't signed. I don't believe Akeem Hicks has signed. Um, I think a lot of teams are just kind of waiting for the draft at this point. Yep, Alexander Johnson. Uh, there, yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, Melvin Gordon. Uh, yeah, but. But no, yeah. so I, I want to start with Edge just yeah. because, so to me, Edge is kind of a weird need in that if you look at the Broncos roster right now, the Broncos have two starters at Edge. They feasibly have two backups, mm -hmm. uh, but both you and I have been saying it all offseason. It's still a need. It's, it's a pretty big need in my opinion because, yeah. first of all, you have Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory's injury histories. Then you have the fact that Malik Reed and Bradley Chubb are both not they don't have contracts after this year. Uh and then you consider the fact that Malik Reed is quite light for an edge and it's gonna be an issue. And Jonathan Cooper has short arms. Uh so that is also going to be an issue against uh, yeah. longer tackles. So to me, and then on top of all that, you add the fact that you can, you can basically never have too many pass rushers. So that's how I see Edge mm -hmm. as a need. I think it's quietly one of the bigger needs in the Broncos roster. Oh yeah, I, to me, I I have it as my number two need outside of um, right tackle, which again they probably won't 
just looking at the visits they've brought in, I would be surprised if they took one at 64. Um, I think they'll probably they'll probably swing on like a developmental day three. It just from the visits, right, with Braxton Jones, guys like that. Um to, and then I, I also th- I think I, I was talking to a couple buddies of mine that they were said telling me um that the Broncos don't really like what they saw out of Cushionberry, which is what we you and I have been kind of saying this whole time about the center spot. And sure enough, they brought in Dylan Parham for a visit. I believe he's visiting today as we're recording this. Um, and then Cole Strange as well. Like they're looking at the center position. And I think it's probably going to be one of their day two picks. So if it was up to you with Edge, would you consider Edge a day two? Like, would you rather the Broncos grab an Edge on day two or day three? Uh, so not necessarily, rather, I, not necessarily predictive, two. but what you want. Okay. Day, day um, two. I, I honestly and truthfully, like, I don't see a world where an Edge, just with how talented this class is, I don't see a world where an Edge isn't the best player available on the board at 64. Unless you have just some massive, like yeah, I don't know, some some second round dude has has a Laramie Tunzel weed video. I don't know, like unless somebody falls like that, I, I don't see a, a world where an edge rusher isn't the best player on the board. I mean, I have like so I, I'm working on the edge rushers, and I'm at thirty, and I could have written thirty five and forty. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's such a talented class. Um, so I, I would personally, if, if I had to make the choice, that would probably be the first position I draft over a tight end, over a linebacker, over a running back. I've seen some people take a running back there at 64. Um, I I don't get that at all. Uh, over the only exception would probably be a corner. If I got a good player that fell, like, like if, if Kyler Gordon fell or something like that, um, so who, maybe maybe Roger McCreary, but who are the like who are some edge players at that day two spot that you really like? Well, thanks for asking because I have the edge rankings sitting right up. So my second my second round grades that'll probably be there. Um, Nick Benito out of Oklahoma. I I he would be my pick every day, twice on Sundays. Uh, I I think that his speed and bend is something that the Broncos don't really have. Mm-hmm. And he's it, a lot of people have brought up his run defense. It's not a case of like a Malik Reed run defense where he just gets washed out. Uh, it, it's just purely based off of his size. And he's one pound lighter than Brian Burns and Aziz Ojolari. Like, I don't care it, if to me, I, I comped him to Yannick Ngakwe. I thought, I thought he think he could be that kind of a player. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'll take that at the end of round two every day but i also have drake jackson out of usc i think he's a stud uh and josh pascal pascal is it pascal is that you say his last name i think so kentucky um i also have him and then like some day three like some round three guys like uh kingsley and and alex wright okay tell me tell me a little bit about about Wright because i i have not watched him uh i've seen him crop up there in that third round range but i haven't really watched freaking toolsy yeah, I mean, like, pretty much every tool you could want out of a pass rusher. Oop, hold on, let me mute my phone. Excuse me. Uh, it, like he's he's a little bit raw, but I mean, which is fine. But when you talk like long, like super explosive athlete, 
great in space. He, like he's got such a huge when you watch him, his tackling radius. I mean, compared to guys like Jonathan Cooper and Malik Reed, like he the dude is to quote Ben Solak, the dude is long. Like 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 he's such a fun explosive player. I think as a developmental guy, uh, he would make a lot of sense. The only concern with him with Denver is I believe he did have a peck injury in the off season. Okay. It was a left peck. And I, but that's, I think his only injury in college. Um, I, as like a side note, I've seen Sam Williams pop up in a few mock drafts. Yep. I'm, I'm not touching that. Not not with a 30 foot pole. Um, he and he's apparently not only did he have a sexual assault incident in his past, but he has apparently failed like every character flag in the offseason. Like the NFLPA guys just ripped him. He's like they were like he's non-repentant, doesn't even pretend to be like a good person. Mm-hmm. So like that's a pretty big concern. I'm like, I, I gave him a third round grade off of film. The film is fine. It's 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 pretty good film, but I'm like I don't I don't know if I'd mess with that. His character is such a huge concern with me that I'm like, I, guys guys with that kind of past. It's it's like Josh Ball last year. Like he was a fine tackle prospect, but he was like, oh, the past is in the past. Don't worry about it. Like, no, that's not how you handle domestic violence. Yeah, <laughs> like, um, and and that's just kind of the character thing for me. But what? So so having looked at as many edges as you have, then you. What what I, I want to play devil's advocate a bit because I also think that depending on if Benito or Drake Jackson does fall to 64, I'm very interested. But with the depth of this edge group from a devil, like, does it make sense to wait on it? And you can just get, you know, what would normally be a second or third round player in round four? You could. There's there's some really talented round four guys. Um, if they're wanting to wait, it's just such a risk because, like, I, I love christopher allen from alabama i i think he's a sleeper I, I, a true sleeper that nobody's talking about to i me. think doesn't he also have something going he has on off ex- the field he has he has an extensive injury history okay um, i know i know he started like i think five career games because of injuries uh, but i mean like he's played over 30 but he has had um he has had significant injuries. Uh, Jesse Lucada from Penn State is the one I think you're thinking of with the off the field injury or okay. concerns. Because he was involved. Jesse Lucada out of Penn State was involved with the Micah Parsons. Um, yeah, no, like, I knew that. stuff. Uh, I just thought I saw, it, and again, I didn't look into this because I just saw that I have somebody, somebody I said that there was it. an ongoing investigation, but I don't know. Um, is is there okay i didn't know that no i have i I might be wrong i again i i saw it and then i didn't like i didn't follow up on it uh but that yeah i'll have to look into that but no if 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 it's just injuries yeah i'm I'm with you because again he he was pretty good before injuries yeah it it, what's what's funny is he played like 10 snaps this season before getting hurt but he looked like a totally different player to me like like he he was he was leaner his frame was a little bit better better built um, and that explosiveness with him, I, I truth be told, I think if he can stay healthy, I mean, it's a lot like Terrell Lewis a couple of years ago. It's like the only concern with him has been it was injuries. 
right? But he had all the tools in the world. And he's he slowly started developing into a, a pretty high impact pass rusher for the Rams. And like that's that's the same way with Christopher Allen. So like I think if you want to wait, I have you know I have guys like um, Ajay Sanders in the fourth round, Amari Barno from Virginia Tech in the fourth round, uh, Dominique I Robinson. Like I saw, I saw Tyreek some people. Smith, like, I saw some people are moving Barno up into the second, third round range because of his his workouts. And I'm kind of I I get why. Yeah, he's yeah he's so freaking toolsy. Like I get why. Um, he's like six five, I think two forty five. He's just just huge and long, explosive, great athlete. Like I get why he's the kind of pass rusher that teams just fawn over because he's got every tool in the books. Like and he's a good, he's a good pass rusher. He's he's just raw. Um, I, I mean, but I, I I get why they would put him there. I had a I had a fourth round grade on him. I've seen people with some wild takes on like Dominic Robinson, it, Dane. Dane has him like in the third round as like the 78th overall player. Yep. I, I did not, I did not see that on his film. And what's worse is that Dane in his write up said that if Robinson needed to spend time on the practice squad before becoming a sub package player. And I'm like, that's not, you don't take that in the third round. What are you I talking can't. about? No. Um, but like, to me, I, I think Dominic Robinson is probably more of an even front defender. And I, think we're probably going to stay in an odd front yeah um and and so like that he's probably not a scheme fit but you could make it work because he's he again he's long he's powerful um he tested a lot better than his film but he's never started a game at defensive end either so that's that's problematic they take him off they take him off the field quite a lot on run defense so that's 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 a pretty big concern for me yeah. Um, but like, like he's a, he's a toolsy player. So like I get like round four or five, you're like, why not? Um, I, to me, I don't want them to wait any longer than like round four. Cause it, cause like five, six and seven, you're going to get guys like Tyree Johnson who have like 30 and seven, eight arms. Like yeah, you're, you're, you're making, you're making severe trade-offs to try and get a trade or two and hoping that yeah. the guy can figure out a way to overcome it for the most part. Yeah. It's either that or you're getting a run defender who doesn't offer much as a pass rusher? Jeffrey Gunter. Yeah. That's that's Jeffrey Gunter. He, he's a great run defender, but you're not going to get much of a pass rusher. I like uh, uh, I like Sanders quite a bit from Cincinnati. I yeah. I have the same concerns with him though that I have with Malik Reed, and just that he is light. Yeah. He is very light, uh, and it does affect his play strength and ability to anchor. Um, I think mm -hmm. again, I think he's, he's a tough player, and he'll play through it. Uh, but I just think like, there's a certain degree of, you can't make up for that. Like, it's just going to happen. Yeah. That, that was the way I felt with Tyree Johnson out of Texas A&M. Like dude, dude has, was like lightning quick, super explosive, but he had like the third smallest arms in combine history mm. or like, like I'm mock draftable, like 30 and seven eighths is rough. Yeah, it is. He's just going to get locked out and it, it kind of showed up on film. And I was like, I, I, I think I tweeted out. I'm like, he's Jonathan Cooper. Take that for what it's worth, whether you think he's better or worse. <laughs> like, cause, I mean, he's 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 lightning quick and he's got a heck of a motor. But the natural limitations of these guys are, you know, that's why he's on day three. That's why he's around five, six, seven pick. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, but I, I don't think they should wait it, to me with the injury history, like you just, you can't go in and expect Bradley Chubb to stay healthy. You, you can't. 
at this point, there's no there's no real faith you can have in that. Even Randy Gregory, to an extent, like you can't have faith in all 17 games. Nope. Um, and then at that point, like Never if one before. or both, if one or both of them, you know, get hurt and miss significant time, you're throwing back out Malik Reed and Jonathan Cooper, mm-hmm. and you saw how that went last year. Yep. And so, like they they absolutely, I would add. I, I've said this entire offseason. I thought they needed to add at least two. I I would take three personally. So add Randy Gregory and two more in the draft. That that would be me personally. I know it's a it's a stacked room, but like. I hate to say it because Jonathan Cooper is a fan favorite, but like he has natural limitations that can easily be upgraded. Malik Reed can easily be upgraded over. Like I would think if you can trade Malik Reed in this draft, you should. Uh, He's on. Yeah. He's on on a relative. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, he's on a relatively expensive deal. It's the last year of that deal. And you're gonna have to sign him to an extension if you're keeping him anyway. He has natural limitations that show up, and then he has the kind of box score stats that somebody dumb might overlook, like overlook the film, <laughs> and send you something. Like teams do yeah. that, like they do. Uh, and again, I'm yeah. not, I'm not saying you can count on it, but, but we, you know, you see it every year. Teams buy sacks. Like there are teams yeah. that will overpay because of sack production, and Malik Reed has sack production. They they ought to hire Fangio then too, <laughs> while, they're, while they're at it, because that, that's about the only way they're going to get it. But, but, but like, I do yeah. think that that it would make sense to do it. And then, like you said, do that and then turn around and grab a guy in like the second or third round and then grab another guy for a developmental traits guy that you can maybe stash. That's yeah. what I would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just think they need, especially in a division with Mahomes and Herbert yes. and Derek Carr, like you absolutely have to be able to go after and harass a quarterback as much as possible. I am concerned so, about the Broncos pass rush in spe- in particular because of the division they play in. Because you yeah. cannot afford to have a bad pass rush in the AFC West if you want to be a serious contender. Yeah, I mean, look at look at the freaking look at the Chargers. Yeah, I mean they they have Khalil Mack and, and Joey Bosa, like, and then the the Raiders come around with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. Yep, like the only one that is really kind of mid is the Chiefs. The Chiefs, but they have Mahomes. Um, but they have Patrick Mahomes. So like, who cares, right? Mahomes just does the boot scoot and boogie and everything works out. And you know, like that's, that's the way their, their team is literally built off of just Mahomes vibing at this point. Cause, <laughs> cause the way, and a really good offensive line. Yeah. But like, to me, if, if you can get something similar, like last year at the Seattle traded, I think a seventh rounder and then a player for Carlos Dunlap. Yep. And like, if that's, if you can get that, Sure. I mean, the I think the Jets also got a pick, or maybe it was either the at the Jets and the 49ers made a Jordan Willis trade. And I can't remember which pick went where, but it's how the 49ers have an additional pick this year. And like if they if you can get if you can get additional either 2022 picks or 2023 picks for Malik Reed, go for it. Because oh yeah, that six that if you can get a 2023 sixth round pick, that's better value than what Malik Reed is going to give you on the field this year. Well, not only that, but realistically, it's probably what you're going to, it's more than what you're probably going to get when he signs his new deal down the road anyway. Yeah. You're Uh, not going to get a a higher comp pick for him than that. No, because he's probably not going to be signed. And again, I'm not, you and I beat up on Malik Reed a lot and I'm not trying to beat up on Malik Reed, but just realistically, when you, when you look at what he is going to bring to his next team teams, if they watch the tape, like if, 
assuming that obviously without Fangio around to kind of create the magic for him this year, he's not going to sign a big money deal next year. Yeah. And so, and again, like to get, to get a compensatory pick for him in, in any way, the Broncos would have to be pretty inactive in free agency next year. And they have five draft picks, none before the third round. So it's hard to believe that they're going to be really inactive in free agency. They're going to probably have to go and sign people. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To fill out the roster, which means that yeah. they're probably not going to be a be a part of the comp- compensatory pick formula anyway. So honestly, yeah. if you can get a 2023 pick for him this year, knowing that you can grab an edge rusher that is probably better than him anyway, mm-hmm. makes sense to do so. Yeah, I, I, I personally, I... I think next year they're they're probably either during the summer or during the draft. I think you're going to see guys. I think like Natane Moody. We'll probably get to the interior or the offensive line later, but like Moody and Cushenberry probably get moved in the middle of the draft. Yeah, or over the I think summer. If, team, if teams offer anything for him, I could see them both being moved for sure. Yeah, um, especially like if they if they take you know like a, I'm just hypothetical like a Benito at 64 and a Dylan Parham at 75. Yep, they have the rest of day two and all of day three, which is probably what both of those interior guys would go for day three picks and Malik Reed to sit there and just go, okay, well, yeah, you want them? Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a fifth round pick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, cause Peyton, Peyton has said repeatedly, he wants, he ideally would want 10 picks in every draft. That's unrealistic to expect, but, but he you can't has sit five. there and think he'll, yeah, yeah, you can't sit there and think he'll stick with five no. next year. Like oh. I, I wouldn't rule. I wouldn't rule out a trade down from sixty-four. Same. I, I. He probably won't because they have seventy-five, and the margins of a you know, player that you're going to get is probably not big enough. Unless you get, unless you get like a twenty, like a second-round pick or a high, like a t a, a pick that you would project to be a high-end third-rounder next year, probably wouldn't trade down from sixty-four. I, I like. I don't see them moving up much this year i hope like they, they don't i hope they don't at all um yeah and, and like the, uh, thing, the thing with how the rams do it because you know there's a lot of rams influences on, yep. on how they process the way the rams do it is they make bank off of comp picks yep and i mean they have like eight picks because of comp picks <laughs> and that year, and, and, and they uh, wheel and deal well and i'm glad and you mentioned it down because like that is one of the big differences between what the Rams did last year with Stafford and whether the Broncos are at right now with Wilson. Cause a lot of people, and again, I I've made the jokes, like the whole like F them picks type thing. But the thing is the big difference between what the Rams are doing and what the Broncos are doing is the Rams are involved in the compensatory picks formula. So they're getting free picks essentially yeah. for not paying free agents. And the Broncos aren't doing that as of yeah. now they haven't. And again, as I mentioned, they have so few picks in 2023. It's hard to imagine they're going to do that. So yeah, I, they will I not think, be a part of that formula until at least 2024. I, I personally think they'll take a player. At, it, it My personal draft strategy and how I think it'll go. I think they'll take a player at 64. 
I think I would be surprised if they stayed at both of their third round spots. Yeah, they'll probably move. From I w- yeah. Um, ideally, I mean, either one, I think would you probably get reasonable comp for. You're not you're not going to get a first rounder in any trade down no. next year. You're probably not going to get a second rounder. Like if they had their original second round pick still. And if the if the roles had flipped and they had given up the Rams second rounder instead of their own this year for the Russell Wilson trade, you could probably talk me into thinking they'd get a second rounder next year for it if they traded down far enough. But like realistically, you're gonna get third, fourth, fifth, and you know, six and seven picks next year, which is fine because that's you know, the team accepted that. And truth be told, like they're pretty they're a really talented team. Like Yes, they don't have a lot of holes that they need to sit here and like. Okay, there's a first round pass rusher. We need a first round pass rusher, right? Like, it'd be nice if they had a first round tight end. It'd be nice if they have, but like, realistically, they're they're ready to compete. They need they're... to shore up depth, and that's what the purpose of this draft is. And so, if you can shore up and strengthen some areas like the pass rush room, the corner room, the interior of your offensive line, that gives you flexibility to compete right away, and then you can make moves for next year. Well, and I would say the fact that they do need the depth is one of the reasons why, and again, Broncos fans are going to do this, but it's one of the reasons why I immediately kind of poo-pooed the whole Debo Samuel stuff because it was like, it doesn't make any sense. I understand that we're, we're in the slow news cycle. So some, some like organizations are going to like throw that out there and try and like push it, but it just, it's not realistic. And it does the opposite of what the Broncos actually need. They don't need another receiver. They need depth because of an injury strike, you know, at their defensive line room, at their, their interest room. That's what they need to do uh, the rest of yeah. this offseason. And I know that's not as exciting, but that is actually what's going to help them compete for a Super Bowl. Uh, well, listen, listen, they'll just, they'll just get Devo. They'll use two back personnel with him and Javante Williams. It'll all work out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, who needs an RB2? We got Devo now. Exactly. That's that's what the Jets, Jets fans are like. Well, you know what? He could be a strong running back, too. Why not? We'll just... <laughs> I, I don't... Personally, I don't think Debo Samuel gets moved. It doesn't either. sound it doesn't sound like he will. And the 49ers have pretty much all the leverage. Here. And he I think he wants to get paid. I think he wants to get paid, yeah. and I think he wants to get paid now because if he's gonna take a lot of care, and again, this is you know off the rails quite a bit now. But it, being a running back, his wear and tear is gonna be higher, and he doesn't want to turn around next year and all of a sudden he gets lowballed because he was a running back. Yeah. And I get that. Um, but that as far as the Broncos are concerned, though, let's kind of you know, moving back. Right, right, right. Defensive line. I think you and I both agree that there is a need there. Mm-hmm. As I see it, um, and again, people have pushed back on this quite a bit because people don't want to believe that DJ Jones has any limitations. They want to believe that, you know, he's Aaron Donald incarnate. <laughs> DJ Jones is a nose tackle. Uh, he has 30-inch arms. He is too short to be a good five technique. Uh, there's a reason that he was playing in the B gaps and inside. Like, he's playing B gaps and A gaps mostly. Like, you're mm-hmm. not going to play him against left tackles and expect it to be good just because he doesn't have the length to, to create a pass rush against them. Right. Uh, so as I see it, they never really replaced Shelby Harris, uh, McTelvin, Ajim and Deshaun Williams. And then maybe Marquis Spencer, who is, uh, you know, a late round pick last year and spent most of the year on the practice squad. Maybe the coaching staff believes that they're going to play base personnel so seldomly that those three players can do it. But anything else, to me, it looks like a pretty big need just because right now, if they're playing in a 3-4 base, you know, their base personnel group, McTelvin Najim's run defense was just straight up bad. 
Deshaun yeah. Williams is okay as a sub and rotational guy, but you don't want him playing 60% of your snaps. And Marquis Spencer is completely unproven. He's a seventh rounder. Yep. Yeah, that's that. And the, the problem with it is that this defensive tackle class is a lot of, it's like three techs, mm-hmm. which, which the Broncos might need, but they have Draymond Jones there, who's who's really good. Um, and they'll probably rotate another player behind him. Um, one, one of the guys you just mentioned will probably be the backup. Probably three tech. I would probably say that would probably be a gene probably more than him actually playing five tech. Um, and then it's like nose tackles, <laughs> right? Like Perry on Winfrey, Travis Jones, uh, even some other guys like, I like Noah Ellis, uh, Jaden, not Jaden PV, uh, Kalia Davis, Thomas Booker. Like these are nose tackles. Atito, uh, Albania from UCLA. I saw him mock to Denver. I'm like, he's a nose tackle. Yep. Like he's more than likely going to be a nose tackle. You have, well, like four, <laughs> five tech prospects. In and, that's, and that's kind of, to me, if the Broncos do not chase an edge, in, on you know at 64 i hope they're chasing a defensive lineman who falls if the right guy is there because and i know i know he's not sexy and people do not like people broncos fans have gotten mad at me for mocking him before but darian mathis makes sense like again yeah. he is not exciting at all uh he is yes he was second on alabama in sacks last year but he's not a twitched up pass rusher he's going to end up hitting yeah. the league and he's going to probably be a day one competitor for starting role as a base personnel five tech and then he's going to probably just be a pocket pusher who can get, you know, a cleanup sack here and there. But yeah. those guys are surprisingly tough to find in this draft. So unless the Broncos are looking at, you know, kind of like the third and final wave of free agency after the draft for this. Which I think the only one is like Akeem Hicks. Right? There's not a lot of options. So it, it's there's like not, either. Yeah. I, I am assuming that defensive line is going to be the position group that I am the most concerned about going into this season just based yeah. on kind of like what if, is on the roster, what's available to them to replace or upgrade. Yeah. If there's a guy at 64, I think the only one that makes sense is Logan Hall. Oh God. If Logan Hall is there, I, I honestly, Logan Hall yeah. is one of the guys I, if he, if he's falling down the board, I do hope they consider trading up for Logan Hall because I think Logan yeah. Hall is a first round talent. Yeah. Like he's, he's, but he's the only one that makes sense. Yeah. And like yeah. if at 64, unless yeah. like maybe you could kind of convince me, that DeMarvin Leo could do it, but again, I don't. I think you're going to be I having don't. a lot of the same issues you have with the regime if you're yeah, having Leal. Yeah, it's, it's, again, like five star guy, good of a run defender. Yeah, five star yeah. guy, very, very quick and twitchy, and like he's going to give you something as a pass rusher down the road. But you're probably taking a net loss for yeah. at least his first year in terms of run defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, like Perry on Winfrey, I think could be a really good player, but he played nose tackle. He's gonna he's gonna probably project better to three tech. Yeah, three tech or um, inside. He doesn't really look like yeah. he doesn't really look like a five tech. Yeah, I but and this is why I have repeatedly mocked Aoma Uazurike from Iowa State to the team because he makes so much sense there and, with and, their fourth round pick to be five say, he's tech. A, and he's a day three guy. Yeah, yeah, it, and that's and that's what you really need at five tech. Yeah. Right? Like, oh yeah. You know, and again, you're not going to be playing that base formation all that much. No. Like, um, the numbers say the Broncos and the Rams both use nickel on more than 60% of their snaps last year. 
the Rams actually used a lot of dime as well. Uh, yeah. I want to say their dime was like 18 or 19%. So they were yeah. only really in like a true base personnel grouping, like 10% of the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and they, and, but they had such 20% a really, of the time. They, My math's awful. They, had but... su- they have such a good defensive line rotation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, with, with obviously Aaron Donald and Greg Gaines came in and I thought flash. Well, Ashawn Robinson, really Robinson during the playoffs was just unreal. Good. Um, like they have the ability to do that with, with the Broncos, like DJ Jones is a really good nose tackle, but he's a really good nose tackle. Like, and, and Draymond Jones, Draymond Jones is going to outsnap DJ Jones. He should. Um, and, and Draymond Jones is a is a is a pretty good three tech. Yeah. Um, I I really, but to me, like they don't have the depth on that unit to sit there and say they can emulate the Rams perfectly. No, and it's one of those situations where if there's an injury to either de- either one of the Joneses, the Broncos' defensive line becomes a pretty big weakness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like, I think. If day three they want to send some splash picks there, I'd go for it. Like I, I would take I would take another uh nose tackle. Same. I'd probably I'd probably because like realistically they're probably it depends on how they feel about Mike Purcell. I don't I don't think they're gonna keep him for long. Um I think he probably take another rotational pass rusher as well. I think he might end up going into a competition in camp, but he is somebody who makes a lot of sense as a cap casualty just because at the end of the preseason, end of the preseason, he has a lot of overlap with DJ Jones, his contract. You can save quite a bit of money by moving him. uh, Once you Mm -hmm. hit June. I, and again, I I've liked what Purcell has done. If they keep him, I'm not, you know, I don't have a problem with it. And again, if the Broncos are playing nickel and dime for 80% of their snaps, this need for five technique is not as dire if they're not playing much base. Uh, if right. they play base as much as they did, even under Fangio though, it is a concern. Yeah. Like, like if they come in and they're like, and they draft like, like day three, if they draft like a Matt Henningsen from Wisconsin, who is just like your stereotypical, like uh, into your rusher. Like he's, he's so like, he came in and surprised me with how well he tested. Um, and I, I, I think he'd be a nice, like, developmental guy. Um, truth be told, their options on improving, like, the three tech and, like, building the rotation behind Draymond Jones is really, really, like, long. There are so many three techs. Yeah. That I think have a lot of pass rush upside. And, yeah, you could throw a dart on them in the sixth round. It doesn't matter. Um but your nose and your five tech, your run defense, which is where they need to improve, quite frankly, is they need to get better against the run because they were horrible at it last year. Um, that that's a real area of of struggles in, in this draft class. You know, there's not a lot of really good run defending edge rushers either. No, especially with where the Broncos are drafting. You're yeah, you're you're generally looking at pass rush guys who are going to be DPRs probably year one mostly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which kind of brings us, I, I'm going to move a little bit on our chart, but I, that kind of brings us to linebacker though, because mm-hmm. so, yeah. and you and I, you and I both kind of agree on this as well. To me, linebacker is a need because the Broncos are looking to move Baron Browning. If they move Baron Browning. Yeah. Yeah. If they kept Baron Browning in there, I actually feel pretty good about the linebacker group because at that point you have Baron Browning, Josie Jewell starting. Jonas Griffith, probably the first guy off the bench. And I, I liked him enough that I think he would be a fine backup. Uh, and then you have Alex Singleton. It's kind of like the fourth guy in the room. Who's probably your special teamer. If you have to play him, you can. 
Uh, and then Justin Cernat is probably fighting for playing time at the end of the roster. If you move Baron Browning, though, all of a sudden, Jonas Griffith versus Alex Singleton to start kind of makes me a little queasy. Uh, just Griffith, because Griffith blows him out the water. I think like, so. Based on what we've yeah. seen so far, I think Griffith makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, but again, at that point, the depth behind them is very shaky because again, and, and I've alluded to this again, a few it's, times. It's Justin Sernad. Yeah. It's Justin Sernad and his run defense is pretty bad. He looked very lost last year. I would be surprised if he plays on defense again. Uh, the new coaching staff will help him. You know, maybe he puts it together with a year off. But the thing is, his run defense was a question coming out of school. So it's not... It wasn't a surprise that he had issues defending the run last year. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't process as quickly as Josie Jewell does. So he's kind of a downgrade across the board in terms of all, like everything. Uh, and then as much as I've watched Alex Singleton at this point, decent athlete, better athlete than I thought he was going to be going in. Good change of direction. Good, kind of like good chasing the ball down. Bad against blocks. Just straight up, he, I would I graded him. I want to say I graded him as adequate, and it was pretty close to marginal on my grading chart, uh, which means yeah. that it is a weakness. Like, it is a, a dire weakness, and teams went after it. So mm-hmm. if, if the Broncos are concerned about run defense, and they should be, as you as you said, they probably aren't starting Alex Singleton on purpose. Uh, and again, so if Baron Browning is moving, to me, linebacker, you're looking for a potential starter. So to yeah. me, this is, depending on who is there, this is a day two need. Yeah, it's 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 kind of stupid to me because what they're doing is opening up a hole unnecessarily, right? Like if if they go in and like ignore edge because like oh Baron Browning will be the third outside linebacker, it's whatever. A that's quite frankly stupid. By the way, that makes me really question their evaluation skills um, because the Rams make dumb personnel decisions like that all the time. Dude, they're awful with personnel decisions. Um, Quite frankly, to me, I thought Baron Browning was the best linebacker in the AFC West last year. I don't think it was particularly close. I uh, like he he was, I mean, he literally handled the green dot as a rookie who missed the entire summer and like the first eight weeks of season comes in and immediately improves the defense. Played great in coverage, like he he was honestly like his biggest weakness was probably just taking better angles to the ball, which will come with time. Like there was, there's no reason to move him outside. And if you do that, if you do that and then you draft a linebacker at 64, I I think that's silly. I quite frankly, and like with the team moving to a base where you're only going to have one linebacker on the field, putting Baron Browning there makes so much more sense than putting Josie Jewell there. Like it doesn't make, and especially if they're keeping with a lot of the Fangio stuff, which we've heard, every defensive player get asked about by now. Um, like if they're keeping with a lot of the same defense, why would you take a guy that came in and played a hundred percent of snaps and called the defense? Why would you move him off of the mic? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, and, and then if they take a linebacker at 64, because of that, I think that's poor process. I, I really do. Like it doesn't, cause what happens if you go, Oh, well, Baron Browning's not really making it an outside linebacker. You've spent a set. You've spent sixty-four. Either you're forcing him unnecessarily to keep playing outside linebacker, which is a waste, or you spent the sixty-fourth pick and you've brought back Josie Jewell for money, and then you have to put Baron Browning somewhere and you have to put Jonas Griffith. And it's like it's just opening up a can of worms that they didn't need to open up, right? Like there, there was no need to to make all this fuss. 
and if they try it out in minicamp, it's one thing. It's just like, yeah, it's whatever, right? Like off-season summer thing, sure. You know, and if you want to try and get creative with it, and if you want to put him as an outside linebacker and like your 5-1 looks, sure. But like moving him as an edge full-time doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Agreed. Uh, um, and obviously my dog agreed too. That was, you know, him groaning. But uh, uh, but I again, I agree with you. Uh, and again, there is a very distinct possibility that they're just kind of toying around with it, seeing about like wrinkles that they can add for different looks, stuff like that. Um, and that's but, fine. Yeah. But if they move him, uh, linebackers a need, right? Uh, I, I would say that it is a need. And at that point to me, if Chad Muma or is there at 64, you have to think about it. Cause Chad Muma is one of the better linebackers in this class. Oh yeah. Chad is, Chad is fantastic. Truth be told, I I think there's a better chance that I think Chad might outplay Devin Lloyd and Akobe Dean. I could see it. Who, it. It depends where they yeah. land, but I could see it. Yeah, I to me, I also I know you're pretty iffy on this, but I really liked Leo Chanel. No, I, I have thought a, Leo, he, he's the other guy. I thought on my Leo Chanel. I thought Leo Chanel's tape was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I was expecting Ryan Connolly. Oh, no, no, no. Right? Like, I was expecting uh, that. And he came in, and he was like, a freaking ball. Like, it's it's he... almost like it's almost like the same thing with Jordan Davis, right? Where it's like, I, I don't necessarily care about how often his coverage stuff was because he's so good at defending the run. So I care about it. And that's why I would not want Leo Chanel at 64. But if you're taking him in the third round, I can see why. Uh, because I think he's, in a lot of ways, he, there's a lot of overlap in his game and what Alexander Johnson gave you. Uh, when he's coming forward, he's a borderline elite player now. Yeah. Like he will come into the league as a very good run defender. And the potential is there for him to be one of the best run stopping linebackers in the league. Uh, like, I think, I think his biggest thing in coverage was just inexperience. Like Wisconsin didn't really do it a lot. Well, I think it's. And I, I might, you and I might not agree and, with this. And, I think it's and, and maybe, maybe that's a product of because they weren't comfortable with him doing it. Like we just, we don't really know, but like we could kind of look based off of his film and testing that maybe there's room to grow there. Yes. I would say and, that. And if you can get, if you can get like a, like average to good coverage player with how exceptional he is defending the run, I think that's worth the third, like at least a third, probably late second round pick. Like, I don't think he should make it past Philly at 51. I, I don't see any reason why he should last that long. Um, I, I tweeted out last night, there's not a more Dan Campbell player in the draft <laughs> than Leo Chanel. Yeah, it like, makes he, sense for them. He makes it, yeah, but sit, and they'll, they'd probably take him at 34. I, like, I don't think he's quite as good an athlete going laterally. Uh, I, and again, I think he could improve in coverage. I yeah. don't think he's as good as he tested in terms of like his lateral quickness and his change of direction mm-hmm. ability. And I do think that that is always going to be a bit of a limitation that shows up against like quicker shiftier players. I think if you're putting him into an Alexander Johnson type of role where most of his coverage responsibility is hook zones, I think you can live with him. I think you're fine. Um, and again, yeah. like you said, as, as a run defender, and then honestly, as a blitzer, he is so effing strong. And, and he knows how to do it. Oh my gosh. So I, if you're doing guys that, off, yeah, like it, if you're, if you're doing that, insane how much movement he generates off of blitzing. Like, if you, if you know how to use him and you, and you kind of cater to his strengths, I think he would be a good pick. Uh, yeah. to me, I just, if, if you're going Leo Chanel at 64, I'd rather you go for like a Federian Mathis and then try and get Leo Chanel at 75. 
yeah. if that's what the plan is. Yeah, to me, it, what's what's strange is that to me, a lot of these linebackers project more as like there's not a lot of true Mike linebackers to me. You know, like I think I think Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean are fun, but I don't think I don't know if they're more of like like real like three down in the sense that you put them in the middle of your defense and play them like Fred Warner. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think the closest player like that is Quay Walker. And again, you're you're not gonna get him at sixty four. No, if if Quay Walker fell, I take him at sixty four. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's one like, of those things that bat- because he because he he's an upgrade over Jewel Griffith and, and like if you run out of set with Baron Browning and Quay Walker, I mean, holy crap! The athleticism there is nuts. Um, and like, just be told, I I I don't know if I would even I wouldn't keep I'd move Jewel Jewel the second that, <laughs> that happened. I really would. Um, I have no idea the cap. I'm just saying that because like, I want picks next year, but like. Realistically speaking, like if you're not going to get that kind of elite linebacker at 64, which goes back to our previous point about Baron Browning, that it doesn't make sense because you're not going to get a guy as good as there. Um, realistically, the probability that Muma falls is low. Is low to yeah. 64. Yeah. They would have to move up, and I don't. I'm moving up is even worse. Um, you don't move up for a linebacker if you're smart. You no, don't move up for running back if you're smart either, though. Like, let's be no, real. And they did that last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. But one, and, and now we have to figure out how he fits. <laughs> one, one thing. So if obviously if Muma and Chanel are not really there, because again, there's a there's a possibility Chanel goes way before 64 as well. Yeah. Uh, if those two guys are off the board again, I, I, I would be surprised if Quay Walker's even within their range. He's getting first round talk right now. And again, you know, we're in lying season, but still, like, it sounds like that's real. Um, but if those three guys aren't really in consideration at that point, I hope the Broncos kind of wait. Um, yeah. I I can understand a Troy Anderson grab. Uh, I don't think that they should uh, yeah, do it that early. Like it. It's a yeah. it's a traits over tape type thing and a projection. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't to say he's yeah, he, bad. Uh, yeah, it just what's a, weird. What's weird? It's an upside grab. Just, yeah, he he's. You're hoping the upside develops into like the intelligence of Josie Jewell, right now. Cause he's sloppy. Like he's, he really is. He, he has like no idea what he, what he's doing on the football field. Um, it's kind of like Tyler Smith. Like he just has no idea. You know, the feel and coverage is just not there. I didn't think he was all that. I didn't think his instincts and coverage to make plays on the ball were all that. Um, even like as a blitzer, I wasn't a big fan of him. Like he was much more of like a, He's gonna try and slice through, and then turns out he gets washed out. Um, like, like, and at sixty four, I don't like that at all. Like, I, I think Mike Cliss mocked him there, and I was like, oh, like no. Um, even like at seventy five, I think it would be a reach too. At ninety six, I could stomach it, but ideally, I would, I, if they're looking for a linebacker, I would take one day three. I, I don't, I don't and, think there's and- a day two need. I don't think there's a day two need. Well, because all you, you have to do is just move Browning back. If and, you move Browning back, uh, I, it, for me, it's, if you move Browning back, it's obviously a day three need because then you're looking at competing with Alex Singleton, Justin Sernod for the back end of the roster. Or, mm-hmm. and again, just in terms of value, if Chad Muma and Leo Chanel are not there at 64 or not there, you know, in that ballpark, I would also yeah. say that you're better off going into day three looking for a backer 
just because like Alexander Johnson's still on the market. Like you can go mm-hmm. grab a yeah. you can grab a linebacker. Like they're not that I, hard to find in free I, agency. I'm telling you, Malcolm Rodriguez out of Oklahoma State is a freaking baller. Like he is he's he's like this every every literal stereotype you can think of for a guy that's always around the ball, he is like a high motor. Always like 150%, like super violent and physical, great tackler, really smart. Like I liked his instincts. Um, like I I to me, like that's what you're you're gonna get guys like him, a DeMarco Jackson, guys like that who are good athletes who can play special teams and contribute in a rotational role. That's all the Broncos need at linebacker to and, me. And to if me, they move Browning back. And if they're looking for a developmental starter type or somebody, you know, who can contribute to special teams, but also like potentially develop into a lot more, those guys make sense. Asamoah makes sense. I think Chan, and again, these guys might go a little bit higher, but Channing Tindall, if he makes it out of the third round, I think he could be good value in the fourth. Uh, Um, I think Brandon Smith, if he wasn't a good athlete, might be pretty bad, but he's a good enough athlete that it might make sense to grab him somewhere on day three stash him for a year, make him a special teamer, and then hope he kind of puts it together because he has all the traits. If if they want to stash a guy, I mean, Demone Clark out of LSU. Yeah, like I yeah. know he had, he had the spinal fusion, I believe, that was that he's going to miss basically his rookie year, but that's going to make him fall to day three. Yep. He's a day two quality linebacker. Like if he's your pick in one of the in the fifth round, go for it. Like if, if you use a Trinity Benson pick on that, I think that's an upgrade over you know trinity benson um like that's that's what they need to do is is make a play for a developmental stash slash special teamer because you're not realistically josie jewel's contract is a one-year deal it's a one plus a one-year option is kind of how it looks yeah basically yep and so like they could move on from it so like again if clark if clark sits of his rookie year and just kind of develops mentally and gets adjusted to the nfl like you come in with Browning and Demo Clark, that's your long-term linebacker room with Jonas Griffith rotating in as your number three long-term. Like that's a really solid, really good at, at like great athlete in young athletic and young linebacker room. Like I don't understand why you need to open up that can of worms outside of that. So kind of looking behind those guys uh, to the DB room. Uh, DB is kind of in a weird spot, in my opinion, just because the Broncos do have five corners under contract. They have six safeties under contract. That said, every me- every single one of their corners was hurt at one point or another last year. Uh, everybody but Kwan Williams ended up on either the pup list or IR. Uh, meanwhile, in the safety room, they brought back Kareem Jackson, but he is now at an age where it is not just possible, but almost likely that at some point he is going to have a precipitous decline. Like 34 years old in safety years is that's pretty old. Um, and again, I like Kareem Jackson a lot, but it makes sense if they do not believe in Kane Stearns and Jamar Johnson, they, they very well might, it might make sense to consider a safety. Um, and in a similar boat, Ronald Darby is in year two of a $30 million contract, but realistically next year is a team option. Kwan Williams is on a, I think it's a one-year deal. I'm not looking at it. Uh, yeah, I'm Michael pretty sure it's a one-year deal. Michael Ojemudia was a John Elway draft pick, was hurt basically all of last year. And Essing Bassey was an undrafted free agent that Peyton has already cut once. Uh, so yep. like the DB depth 
is not anywhere near what it what I would assume Peyton wants, judging by you know what he did last year. Uh, so to yeah. me, I think we can. And, and how often they want to play dime. Yeah, I don't think you can sleep on DB as a need. Um, do yeah. you think it is day two or a day three need? Like if it was up to you, I I think corner is a day two. I would probably wait on safety because I think the safety class, like you, you're not going to get Daxon Hill or Kyle Hamilton, right? You're you're not going to get either one of those guys. As as much as I love Dax Hill, you're not going to get him. Um, like so, I would probably wait till day three, just because I think what we saw out of Caden Stearns and I, you you'll have Kareem Jackson and you'll have Jamar Johnson. Like I think they'll wait enough. And and I think there's enough bodies in that room they would to be comfortable taking one on day three, take take a uh, like a Dane Belton or a like Brian Cook, a like a developmental safety with, who's like a really good athlete. Uh, Kirby Joseph I think makes a lot of sense too. But again, if they think the world of Caden Stearns, they might not even take a safety at all. Um, which, which again, we don't we don't know how they feel. Uh, we'll 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 kind of find out on how they handle the draft. Yeah. Um, but like, I think with what you saw out of Caden Stearns as a rookie, I think you feel comfortable because he he's going to start. Like Kareem Jackson's not going to be the other starting safety. It'll be Caden Stearns. But how they handle the safety room lets them entertain different personnel looks as well. Yeah. So again, it just it just kind of depends on how Kareem Jackson looks and what they feel about Caden Stearns. It, I would I would take a safety day three because I think there's a lot of good players in this safety class. Um, but I don't think it's like a as big of a need as it was before they signed Kareem Jackson. No, and I just looked this up because I've been waiting to find out the details on this forever. Uh, yeah. And for whatever reason, it did come out. So Kareem Jackson's deal. Uh, I know when it first signed, it was like up to $5 million and all that, uh, over the cap actually has the, the numbers. It is a $2 million deal with inflation, like with escalators in it. With so or not, not with inflation, but, <laughs> but, but it's a $2 million deal with escalators in it, uh, based on, you know, playing time, stuff like that. Yeah. $2 million to me says you're competing for a starting job. Yeah. Which I mean. It's fair with with veteran, yeah, yeah, veteran yeah. minimums and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that that to me, it's I think it's just to bring him back and, and physical what he brings to the locker room. A team that's going all in, a team that's going all in like that. To me, I, I think it's more of Peyton just covering his bases, yep. right? And being like, if one falls, yeah, I mean. You could just say, "Oh, well, you know, he is only you know, he's only on one year deal, and he's getting older." Like, you, like it's easy to to pass it off while also covering your bases and saying we can also build for the future. Agreed. Uh, but for me, the players that really jump out, and again, some of these guys are probably not going to be there at sixty four. Um, Kyler Gordon is getting a lot of first round love. Kyler Gordon yeah. is another one of those players that if he starts to slide, I would consider trading up because I I think Kyler Gordon is just about as good a scheme fit as you're going to get in terms of absolutely. He, he can yeah. play nickel. He can play outside. And then he also fits what the Broncos scheme is going to want just about perfectly. So you draft him, you can feasibly play dime with him as one of your dime players in year one. And then he's also your backup behind K1 Williams can potentially be a backup on the outside. And in the long term, if he develops his hopes, 
he gives you an option to potentially move on from Darby and free up a lot of cap room next year. Yeah. Barring that, um, another another very unlikely player that, it, again, if he slides, I'm curious about, would be Lewis Seen uh, from Georgia. Probably not going. He's getting a lot of... Uh, I, yeah, him and Dax Hill are in the running it, to be safety one, or safety two. I've, I've heard Seen. But yeah, I've, I've heard Lewis Seen is going like round one. I, I, I would be shocked if he didn't go round one at this point. Uh, so like, but if he falls, yeah. Yeah, no, and and um, that's kind of he. He's a guy I like. I like Brisker. I think Jaquan Brisker. Like if he falls, I'd consider it. Yeah. Um. I it, as far as corners go, like I like Marcus if Jones. Kyer, if Kair Elam fell, because I you know like we've no idea what his his stock has been just wildly inconsistent. He's probably about mid mid second round, maybe early second round. Yeah, I'd I consider would... it for him. I consider if he's there, I don't want the Broncos to trade up for him. Yeah. Uh, uh, Roger McCreary is kind of the same way for me. Yep. I think he. I think he would be starting nickel right away. Um, but to me, what he does is really exceptional, despite his length. It, Marcus Jones probably not at sixty four. Probably not. I, I don't. I don't think they'd take him at sixty four. No, but I think in day two. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate it if they take him in the seventy-five. I wouldn't hate it if they get him at ninety-six. Uh, I'd probably yeah. be pretty excited if they get him at ninety-six. Uh, and same with Jalen yeah. Petrie because he he solves your he solves your uh, kick return problems as well. He's yeah. got like nine return touchdowns in his career, which is absurd. Uh, and Jalen Petrie is kind of weird in just that he's technically a safety, but he's a box safety that plays a lot of slot snaps. Uh, yeah. At Baylor, he was essentially playing their nickel. Uh, their star. Yeah, star, that, yeah. but but essentially the Broncos have that role. Uh, yeah. And again, I could see him stepping in, drafting him, and getting him to be essentially what they had Kane Stearns doing last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that would be an yeah. okay... Uh, if they're waiting until day three... Uh, I don't know I'll, if that's worth 64, though. Oh, like, no, no, no. Again, I'm saying that, that's, two, where, that's where you would have to get Petrie, because I, I doubt he falls that much further. I'm just looking at like day two versus day three. If they can get him on day two, I don't hate it. He could make sense. Um, but if you're looking at day three, the other players that kind of jump out to me, I really like Cam Taylor Britt. I think he makes sense in terms of fit. Yeah. I have seen mm-hmm. him starting to float up on like the ADP stuff, like his average draft position, according to like consensus mocks, is starting to float into that day two range. So like he might not be there. Uh, but Cordell Flott, they actually brought him in for an interview and same with Jaquan McMillan. They both actually make a lot of sense as well. Uh, Cordell Flott for nickel. Jaquan McMillan is technically like a, a depth safety slash nickel. Uh, he'd be competing. Mm-hmm. Um, very undersized. He would probably be a special teamer early and then like potentially yeah. depth down the road. What, what, did he come in at like five, five, nine and a half and yeah. like one eighty? Like he's super small. Yeah, he's um, the camp Cam Taylor Britt. I really like, um, I think, I think he's an exceptional player. I think I've seen him as high as like corner five. Yep. Um, yeah, I think he would, I don't know if he would start right away, but I think he's, he's good enough that you would feel comfortable replacing Darby at the least uh, with him. And, and he's comparable and with the ability to be better than Darby moving forward. Yep. Um, so I'm, I'm good if they want to take him there at, at 64. I think that's fine. Uh, like everybody else, like I've seen like Tariq Woolen. I don't think he's a scheme fit. I don't want necessarily. Him. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like, again, they, I, they brought in, they brought in Martin Emerson for a visit. Did. He's not good. 
and he's not a scheme fit. He's he's a quintessential cover three corner. And that I... that to me is not a scheme. I see him as like kind of there's a lot of overlap in terms of his profile and Ojemudia's profile coming out of Iowa. Uh, he's played for a long time. He's a he's a smart player, but he has limitations based on his hip fluidity. He is not necessarily great at the catch point. I just yeah, I'm I'm not super yeah, high on him. I he's also he's also on. Seth Williams' son. Um I'm sure we all know the, the clip of him talking smack to Seth Williams and then getting absolutely owned right afterwards. It make camp like, fun. It, it would, um, but like I also, I, you know, again, like I've I've seen Jalen Armour Davis. I think on day three, I, like round four, I I like Jalen Armour Davis. Um, there's a couple like I think Cordell Flott in round five makes a lot of sense. I like Cordell Flott. I think he's a really good player. Um, he, he's just, he's raw, you know, and, that, and that's fine. But uh, to me, he's better than like Kerry Vincent, who they got last year. Mm-hmm. I, I think he would be a really good dime player for them because he, and he has the versatility to play inside and out mm-hmm. as well. Um, other than that, like Kalen Barnes is not, I've seen Kalen Barnes mocked a few times to the Broncos. I don't think Kalen Barnes is all that good, Like he he's, he's just fast. That's all you that, need. That, that's it. That's it. He's fast. Like if you if you have a good rash, that's all you need. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. That's all they look for is a good rash. That's true. Um, but he's literally like he's he's all fat. He's all speed. And I, I'm like I'm not taking all speed. Like round four, round five. Like yeah. that's Kerry Vincent. That that's literally what Kerry Vincent was last year. And they waited till the seventh and then flipped him for a sixth. Like that that's Kalen Barnes. Like I, I like a couple guys, but really I think the Broncos are looking for a corner that can rotate in and uh, like play as a spot starter, quote unquote, in case somebody gets hurt who, but they're going to look for an outside corner that can develop into upside because they're probably going to have to move on from Darby next year, unless he plays exceptionally well. So one one position that has a need that looks like at least looks like a need now and in the future is tight end. Uh, no fan obviously was traded to Seahawks. As of now, Al- Alberto is the starter. Um, behind him is Eric Tomlinson. Behind him is Sean Byer, and then Andrew Beck is kind of in the mix. But Andrew Beck has played 121 offensive snaps the last two years. Uh, profiles is an H back, so he's probably playing fullback snaps when they use 21 uh, between Eric Tomlinson and Sean Byer, there are 18 career catches and they are all Tomlinson's. Uh, and both of them are, both of them are tight, are blocking tight ends. Uh, Sean Byer does have some athletic upside, but he hasn't played it all yet. Um, so tight end does look like a need. And that is one of the reasons that we are seeing so many people dr- uh, mocking Trey McBride to the Broncos uh, the other reason is obviously Trey McBride went to Colorado State, so everybody thinks he's Kyle Pitts. Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Uh, but to me, this is a weird one um, in terms of like day two versus day three because rookie tight ends generally don't do anything. Like they're usually, yeah. when they play, usually they're basically non factors as receivers other than dump offs. Uh, and usually, if they're good enough to do anything as a receiver, they're very bad as a blocker. Uh, and, and I, and I think that's probably, obviously, tight end is probably the hardest position to learn how to play in the NFL other than quarterback, just because you're learning how to play offensive line like a block, or you're learning to block like an offensive lineman, 
but you're 260 pounds maybe if you're big. And then you have to learn how to play as a receiver, but you're an oversized receiver, so you don't have the same like athletic dimensions. And you have to learn all the same nuances to both positions. So it's just historically, you cannot count on a rookie tight end to make a big impact early. Yeah. So yep. that combined with the fact that this draft has Trey McBride, but after that, it's mostly guys that are looking at like that round three, round four, and then lower tier. Um, some good players in there, but like it doesn't look like they're going to be drafted very high. To me, I would rather the Broncos wait till day three unless the right guy is there in the third round. Yeah, I, I, I think with this tight end class, there's also not a real standout tight end. Like there's a bunch of guys vying for the top. Yep. Um, to me, like if you can get like Jeremy Rucker round four, I'm cool with it. Daniel Bellinger, end of you know like like round five or so, I'm cool with it. I like the idea of Grant Calcaterra. He's just he's had so many injuries in the past that I get really concerned with it. To me, I I with how little Russell Wilson uses a position. Like this, like the seams, which is where Trey McBride was primarily be used. Like he doesn't really go for him all that often. Yep. To me, I would like. I think Jelani Woods would be fun, and I like the idea of that. There's just there's not really a guy that I'm sitting here like wanting them to pound the table for. There you know? are some, like, there are some tight ends in this class that I, I'm really intrigued by. Uh, yeah, Isaiah Likely. I think again, his athletic testing was poor enough. That if he falls yeah. into day three, I'm intrigued, definitely. Uh, but Kate yeah. Otten, Charlie Collar, and like you mentioned, Jelani, uh, Jelani Woods. Um, if those guys are there, I, yeah. if any of those guys are there on day three and the Broncos take a swing, I'm not going to be mad by any means because they're, mm-hmm. they're all exciting in their way. Yeah. Uh, but as you mentioned, the fact that Russell Wilson doesn't necessarily use his tight ends very much and everything I just said, it doesn't make sense to overdraft Trey yeah. McBride just so you can make your fans happy. Uh, yeah. Honestly, it I wouldn't is. be mad. I wouldn't be mad if they waited to Jake Ferguson late in day three. And Jake yeah. Ferguson is boring. Like he's not going to probably be anything more than a blocking tight end who can catch outlet passes. But that might be all you need with Russell Wilson and this receiving yeah. core. Yeah, honestly, like I, if they want to wait even for like an Austin Allen or like an Armani Rogers, yep. like round six. Yeah. Like, I think that makes a ton of sense because they already have it, it depends on how good they think Albert O is, but Albert yeah. O is like stiff. I've seen people say Albert O outplayed Noah Fant, and that that still doesn't exist. That That's a fantasy at this point. That is that is people doing the thing that everyone does after a player is gone and that, oh, he wasn't that good anyway. Yeah. And like, like I think PFF had him as like the number five tight end in Dynasty, and I'm like, why? We've we've not seen him do anything outside. Like he caught a few corner routes. Like he like <laughs> he was the number five tight end in that graphic in my mind because they knew that Broncos fans would see it and, and they lose their minds, yeah. and they would retweet or get excited. And I think they mm-hmm. know it because again, PFF is they're a great company in terms of like the the data stuff they do is great they know that Russell Wilson doesn't target tight ends. So whoever made that graphic, either they didn't look well, at mean, it. You're or hoping they, were, they know. Like, <laughs> I think they know. Um, I know enough people at PFF that I, I have a hard time believing that like 
they didn't they, they i have a hard time believing that pff looking at the data would say oh yep he's gonna be the exception um yeah. i just think that whoever yeah. runs their social content knew how to get engaged no, because no Bron- engagement. broncos fans yeah. are very very active on social media and, and right it's now. and it's a hot take and it's a hot take and, and people are going to share it yeah yeah like like to me the way albert o should not be your tight end one like i i don't think he's good enough to be a tight end one but if they're not going to use it all that often and if they if they start to resemble something more along the lines of what Green Bay did with a lot of four wide receiver looks, who cares, right? Like who who cares about your who your tight end is? And and you already, you have your blocking guy in Tomlinson, right? Like he he's a really good run blocker. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's hung on the link. Like, yeah, and he can catch you know what if a few couple rinky dink underneath passes. Like he's he's pretty solid as a catcher too. Like, but he makes his money as a blocker, and so that's his role on the team. Albert O is a good tight end too on a team that runs a lot of twelve personnel. Is should he be a tight end one? No, but is it a drastic need for the Broncos? I think unless you get exceptional value at a player, like if you get like like Kate Otten somehow falling to round five or something like that. Yeah, but to me, I, I'm almost to the point where it's like I think it's a luxury. Well, that they should look at other positions first before they go tight end. So I like Albert O more than you do, and I think that he could be a tight end one in this offense, just because again, I think he's going to end up being a tertiary target regardless, just because there's so many miles around him anyway. And I think if he develops a little bit as a blocker, I think he's okay. Uh, I don't think he'll necessarily be the number, the, the, the fifth best tight end in football. Like that's insane. Uh, yeah. But I, I think, I think he could be okay. But to your point, I do think that tight end is kind of a luxury need in that if the Broncos were that concerned about tight end, they should have signed one uh, just because yeah. you draft one. You're not, unless you're drafting a Kyle Pitts and one doesn't exist in this class, you're not getting yeah. a thousand yard type of receiver out of this tight end. And you don't overdraft blocking tight ends. Like smart teams do not draft yeah. blocking tight ends high. Yep. So and there's so, and there's still the option of getting one after yeah. free agency. Um, because I, I believe there's some like young guys. I don't think Chris Herndon signed with anybody just yet. Um I'm trying to think of who else. I don't think Jared Cook or Blake Jarwin has signed. Um, I know they brought in Kyle Rudolph, which, you know, Kyle Rudolph is old as dust, but like, it's something, but like, again, I, to me, it's not a high priority enough position. Like, I don't and think they, taking one, taking one at 64 is ridiculous. I agree. I, I don't think unless they love Trey McBride, I don't see any other tight end that really makes sense at 64. And I personally do not like Trey McBride so much that I think that you should sprint the the pick in at 64. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, I think he's fine. Like if they make that Mm -hmm. pick based on the board, I can get on board. They they would have to adjust the offense significantly more than what we would thought, than we, what we would have thought going in. Yeah. Uh, But again, like if they can, you know, like how LeFleur got Aaron Rodgers to buy in, if Hackett could get Russell Wilson to buy into it and really unlock an area of his game that he hasn't hit yet. And you think that Trey McBride helps that out? Go for it. But we I mean, we have 
almost a decade of data on Russell Wilson saying he's probably not going to use what Trey McBride does. Yep. Which is seems up the middle. Like he's really good at that. So looking beyond tight end, because I think you and I are pretty much in agreement on it. Running back is kind of a fun one. Uh, yeah. So running back in terms of actual need, obviously they did trade up for Javante Williams last year. You don't trade up for a back to make him a one a to a one B. Like if you get a good enough one B yes, but you trade yeah. up for that guy, you're justifying that by, he is the guy. Uh, mm -hmm. and they already paid Mike Boone. Uh, and he is going to count for a little bit over $2 million against the cap this year. I understand that fans have basically forgotten about Mike Boone because he did not play much last year because he got hurt early, backed up Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams for basically the whole year otherwise, except for the Chiefs game. But he's he's a good scheme fit into what Nathaniel Hackett wants to do in terms of a zone duo running game. That's what he did successfully in Minnesota. So if they take a late round back, to me it makes sense. Now, if the right guy falls on day two, I can get on board for sure. Uh, just because I do think that the Broncos are in a win now window. And I do think that Russell Wilson's issues against uh, too high shells. One of the best ways to combat that is having a strong, dependable running game. So I yep. can get on board, run, run them like, out of it. Like, yeah, I do not believe that these guys will fall, but if like Kenneth Walker or Brees Hall are there at 64, yes, it makes sense. I, 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 totally I think, understand. I think, I think Bruce Hall, I think Brees Hall is going to go round one to Buffalo. I could see it for sure. Again, I, I don't, I don't, I don't I, think I, I either think of them that. will be there by any means. Um, but if they're there, I can get on board. But yeah, barring, Kenneth, barring that, there's something though, about Kenneth Walker that I'm, I can't. Oh, I like him. Buy I'm, into it might be, it might be because I've watched a lot of Michigan State, but I, I like him a lot. Uh, I see him again. The, the, the issues with pass catching, I think that has to be vetted. I, I feel like are more, like, the, like the reps I've seen of him catching are fine. His, yeah, he just doesn't do it a lot. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. to me, that's not the concern. The big concern to me is more the value, but I, yeah. I think in Kenneth Walker, again, depending on the board, uh, having Kenneth Walker and Javante Williams, Atlanta. agreed again, I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying I think he'll, yeah, be right. I, I get what there, you're saying though. Uh, he gives you essentially like a similar dimension to what Javante Williams does in terms of like powerful runner contact balance. Like he has the athleticism to give you chunk plays here and there. Uh, mm -hmm. So like I could get on board with that for sure because it he, it would yeah. mean if he's on the field you don't have to fundamentally change what you're doing. Granted, again, I don't think either of those guys will be there, and there is no other no. back that I like on day two. Uh, at sixty four, no, I don't like any other back um, at day two at all. Um, I think I, I think if you're gonna draft James Cook in the third, I could see it. I'm not gonna I'm like totally, it. I can, I'm totally I can on, board on board with James board. Cook at ninety six. I'm totally ninety six again. I can get on board with it. I because James Cook, I think, is going to be a very good running back if he ends up in the right system. Uh, but like Kieran Williams, I don't think Kieran Williams is a good enough athlete to justify taking no, him on day two. Definitely not. I don't think Isaiah Isaiah Spiller has enough issue. Like he's not a, he's there's, not as good. There's not, a lot of hype around Isaiah Spiller, and I'm just I don't I'm like so, him that much. No. He's a no. good, he's a fit for the Broncos. So again, I could see the pick being made, but he's not somebody I'm going to be very high on. Yeah. Like I, I think he's, I think he's a, a perfect, he's kind of like David Montgomery. Like he's a really good round three back. Yeah. And, and that's all he has to be. Somebody, somebody was saying he was like getting first round buzz. I was like, I no, I don't, I like, I think he's pretty clearly running back three in this draft class for me, but I wouldn't draft him for the Broncos in round three. Um, my approach with, when I want guys like uh, James Cook and Rashad White 
and Tyler Batty and um, like Pierre Strong. Like I'm all about, and, and even Jerry on Ely. Like I'm all about the attacking defenses in different ways. And I think if if you can come out with like if you could come out in a two back look with Javante Williams and James Cook, and you can motion James Cook anywhere out as a receiver, and both of them like it, James Cook can be a really good outside zone runner. Like you just there's so many different avenues to attack when you have a different splash of those kind of runners like that. I, I always feel like that's how you should build your offense is attacking in as many ways as possible. So I think James Cook, especially given Peyton's connections to Dalvin Cook, like I, I just I think there's a lot of potential, and I would love the addition of James. I, I would like them to draft James Cook round three more than I would Trey McBride. Yeah, I would too for sure. Uh, again, I I say this as somebody I'm generally I am pretty opposed to taking a running back that high just because especially an RB two, just because I don't think he's going to be on the field so much to really justify it. Kenneth Walker is kind of like in my mind and again, Brees Hall, I guess. I think those two give you enough in terms of like if Javante Williams misses time, whereas like if James Cook misses t- or if if Javante Williams misses time, I don't think you're going to play James Cook as your starter. Like he might start games, but he's not going to be the guy taking 20 carries. He's like a 20 touch guy. Uh, and that to me is kind of like the difference between wanting to take him in the third round and I'll accept it. Like, I think he could be yeah. a good pick in the third round, but he's not the guy that I will probably want in the third round just yeah. based on like the positional value of everybody else. To me, the other struggle of it is kind of like, if we look at this year, like how Javante struggled processing zone runs. And that's why they played Melvin Gordon as much as they did because it was Melvin Gordon was smarter, just flat out smarter. If Javante Williams isn't there yet with his processing in the outside zone, I think James Cook is smart enough to fill in and splash with those runs. Like, I think you could go towards more of a diverse approach in your run game there, and you would feel comfortable. You would have an outside zone runner. Yeah. Uh, Where we're sitting with Javante Williams is it's like, we just don't know because we don't know how far along he is in that development there. We we have we'll have no idea until the film starts to come out. Yeah. So looking beyond running back, uh, since we're talking about the running game, uh, I think it makes sense to kind of move to the offensive line positions. And I want to start with tackle just because I do think that tackle is an interesting one, just because you identified it right tackle as the biggest need on the Broncos roster. But you, you said earlier that you do not necessarily want the Broncos to take one at 64. Uh, so I want to t- touch on first, what's the actual need? Um, to me, the need is they have not drafted a tackle since 2017. Garrett Bowles is going to turn 30 in May. Their right tackle situation right now is three guys signed to one-year contracts, and all of them have some sort of pretty big question. Uh, so... While I understand the idea that if you can put them all in a lab and make like a Frankenstein, like they might be great. There is no guarantee that Calvin Anderson, Tom Compton, or Billy Turner is going to be the long-term answer for even the whole 2022. So to me, it does make sense if the right guy is there to draft a guy at 64. I don't think the right guy is going to be there. I know DNVR had Bernard Raymond as a, as a guy for 64. There is no way in hell that rain. And again, I'm not even saying I'm really high on Raymond, 
there's no way in hell that the NFL is going to let that guy fall to 64. I, I know, I know we do this every year. It's like, Oh, we say, you know, no way in hell. Yada, yada. But like tackles like Bernard Raymond don't last to 64. Even and, if he probably should go closer to 64, the likelihood with as many teams that need a left tackle. Cause let's be honest. He's, he's a left tackle. Yeah. Moving him over is, it's going to be a challenge. But I mean, like you have so many teams in the second round. I mean, he could go to Green Bay or, or you know, Kansas City or Cincinnati. Like, there are teams that are going to take him. Or Chicago. I mean, good lord, Chicago at thirty nine needs as much offensive tackles as they can get. I mean, they're starting Larry Borum at left tackle right now in camps. Like, and like I, the likelihood that he's at sixty four. It's not. Gonna I happen. would take him if he's at sixty four. I'd, I'd probably take him just because yeah. the the tackle drops off a cliff, and he's about well, the only one left that's a scheme fit that's worth the sixty fourth pick. And that, and so I want to clarify it because I don't say that every year. I don't do the never say like the whole never say never thing with a player falling. Like people acted really surprised when Bradley Chubb was there at five. I wrote a one of my first pieces for Mile High Report was that I did not believe that the Broncos should draft Bradley Chubb over Quentin Nelson. Because I thought both of them could be there. Um, yeah. and, and again, down at 64, yes. Like, it's going to be unpredictable. I'm, I'm this draft people didn't think that. Like, really? Oh, dude, people were floored. Elway said the same thing after that draft. He was like, oh, yeah, we, we didn't think there was any chance what? he'd be there. Yeah. No, that's a whole that's that's a whole other thing. But I don't even I don't remember that at all. I mean, that was granted. That was like my first draft on Twitter. But like, still, like, I don't remember that coming out at all. I was I thought I even thought it was a reach at five. <laughs> Uh, but, but my whole thing is, as you mentioned, and again, I think you touched on it. Tackle is one of those positions. A, it's very, very good in terms of positional value. Like teams value these because they are very, very hard to find starting caliber tackle prospects who kind of hit all the boxes. So when you have a guy who, who tests well enough to give you no qualms about his athletic testing, looks okay on tape. And you can kind of project forward that he's going to get better. Those guys tend to get drafted pretty highly. And again, yeah. we're going to touch on this in a second with another guy. But yeah, for me, Raymond has basically been held as the fifth best tackle in this class. Basically the whole way. Some people have had him significantly higher than that. But I think the lowest I, mid second, I would be surprised if the Broncos trade up for him that I could see that but I don't think he's going to get out of the, the middle of the second round just because there's too many teams that need tackles. Um, and that's the Absolutely. other guy, yeah. the other guy. And again, you and I are going to disagree on this, but that's why the other guy that could make sense at 64 that I will not absolutely hate is Tyler Smith, just because he gives you all the traits, but the difference between him and Raymond is Raymond at least gives you some degree of hope that if he had to play this year, it's not going to be a train wreck. Tyler Smith is his technical issues are so pronounced that if he is playing this year, you might get an okay run blocker, but he is going to be an adventure in pass pro. <laughs> that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um I I am I'm, I'm with you. I think trait wise I to be fair, I, I don't think Tyler Smith is going to be there either. Yeah, same. I but, I, but I, for I a similar reason as Raymond. I don't I think, think teams yeah, will reach for him. Yeah, I, I think he's probably he's a sixth tackle off the board and there's a realistic probability all six of them go top 50. Yes. And, and at that point, it's like, you might as well just not draft a tackle. Might as well uh, wait. You're just, yeah. 
64 for Tyler Smith. Like he's just so he's raw behind the curve. You you're literally going to have to teach him how to do everything as an NFL tackle. And that is and to make matters worse. You don't have much anymore. You have to flip him. Yeah, and you have to flip him over to mm-hmm. right tackle, which is another developmental issue. Like I, people, there's so many people that think you could just move guys left to right, but it's so hard. It is. And for a guy that's so far behind the curve already, you're just taking him down even more notches. And like you said, they don't have Munchak anymore. Now, well, well, I think Butch Berry is one of the better new offensive line coaches that have been hired in the cycle. Like, I mean, you should see the one that the Bears hired. That, 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 if they hired Chris Morgan, I would be like, oh, that's a little bit concerning. But like, they don't, we don't know how good of a developer he is. Yep. We, we just don't. Because he's been an assistant the entire way. Now, he's been an assistant to some really good offensive line coaches. But we don't know like how influential he was in those processes. And like he's never been the sole guy. And, and again, when you have a guy that's as raw as Tyler Smith, you want him to land. And if you want him to succeed, you're going to want him to land in a spot where he has a good mentor and to learn behind and learn from. And you want him to have a good offensive line coach. Yep. To me, I think you know, Cleveland brought him in for a visit because Cleveland's been wanting to solve their right tackle issue as well because Jack Conklin is not the long-term answer, which we could have told called him, told him that when they signed him. But like, they're wanting to have... And he could sit behind Conklin, learn from the guys there because they have an elite offensive line room and they have the best offensive line coach in the NFL in, in Callahan. Mm-hmm. So, like, that landing spot makes a lot of sense. But for Denver, it's like, I'm, I'd am be so hesitant. I, would I be really nervous. would. But yeah. That, but I will say, to, and again, I don't disagree with you, but I will say that with where the Broncos are drafting and their need for a developmental tackle, I think those concerns basically stick with every other player we're going to talk about. Yeah. And, 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 and that's just kind of the reality still, until, until we know what he can until do. They have a right tackle. They're going to have to just start swinging. Well, and, and then until we know so what kind of developer they have. Yeah. We just don't know. So I would say for me, and again, none of these guys are going to be there, but Evan Neal, Aquanu, Trevor Penning, Charles Cross, like, and I would flip Charles Cross and Trevor Penning in terms of like my wants, even though Cross is more of a pure left tackle. None of those four are going to make it out of the first round. I would be shocked. Yeah. Bernard Raymond is probably going in the first round. Tyler Smith is getting first round hype right now. Um, And I don't know how real it is, but the chances of him falling all the way to 64 seems pretty small at the moment. Yeah. Uh, So if if those guys are all gone, I think I agree with you. I think at that point I would probably wait till day three and probably try and take a swing on in the fourth round. Cause there are some other guys that do make some sense. I like Rasheed Walker has a lot of the same rawness issues. Uh, that Smith has maybe not quite as pronounced. Max Mitchell is another one who I wonder about his upside in terms of like if he's actually going to yeah. be a starter or a swing guy. He's, he is. I I graded him as a starting caliber right tackle, but he was. I don't think he has Pro Bowl upside. Okay, like I, I, I love. I would take yeah, that on day yeah. three. Yeah, like I I think he is. I think he could come right in. I think he would start. He probably he probably wouldn't be the start over Billy Turner. Um, but I think he would provide a good floor for you on, on his rookie deal, which I think is, has, is pretty good value. 
um, and if you're looking Spencer late, Beerford, yeah, so I was gonna say Spencer Beerford, Spencer Beerford, I think is pretty solid. Braxton Jones, um, if you're looking late, I think makes some sense. Uh, one yeah, guy we haven't mentioned, and I know you and I have talked about him a little bit before, but I think we need to mention him here. Abraham Lucas, uh, he is one of the most yeah. interesting players when I looked at the consensus board stuff, just because he's he all is, over the place. He's all over the place. Everybody has yeah. a and it's it's one of the wider ranges in terms of draft analysts. Some people have him in the near first round. Some people have him like late day three. Like he is yeah. all over the board. Yeah. I I put a four on him. I thought he I thought he had I, I the upside with Abraham Lucas is like a is a upper upper caliber starting right tackle. I don't he's never going to be like a Lane Johnson or like an elite right tackle. But I think he could be a starting caliber right tackle for like, you know, be your your stereotypical like 10-year starting right tackle. But he he has he has some technical things he has to overcome. And again, you need to overhaul some things, but he's experienced, he's tough. I thought he had pretty good play strength. He's seen, I think he's had like 20, I think he's over 2,000 pass blocking snaps in his career. Like, I think he, big question out of uh, Washington, Washington state. I think they, I I was looking at Dane's uh, draft stuff earlier Uh, with two coaching staffs over his career. He's, he's run block on 27% of his snaps. Yeah. Because they were like, it was Mike Leach and then the run and shoot with Rolovich. Um, so like that, like, I think like worst case scenario with him, he's a solid upside pick on day three and and that's fine. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you're going to get anything like you're not going to get a Tristan Wirfs out of him. Um, and, and, but again, you don't necessarily It'd be nice to have a, a Tristan Worth. Finding an elite right tackle is almost next to impossible. Like, like if you're not spending a first round pick on it, good luck. Good well, and most and most most top tier right tackles get moved to left tackle, or they want to end yeah. up going to left tackle because that's where the money is. Yeah, that's yeah. where Orlando Brown, mm-hmm. um, and he probably should have stayed at right tackle, but it's it's whatever, you know. It's <laughs> uh, but like you're hoping he's basically like I'm trying to think of a of a decent comparison like you're hoping that he's become what samuel cosme did as a rookie yeah um i thought samuel cosme played very well as a rookie coming in but again he's better pass protector than run blocker and that's fine i I think he has the upside to grow into probably like a brian o'neill which is fine that's you know that's a top 10 right tackle but again he needs time to sit and overhaul a lot of technical things, but he's a really good athlete and he's smart and experienced. So like, go for it, you know, I, I, but in round four, I, maybe, maybe 96 because of positional value, the premium of the position. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like you might not want to wait that much longer for a tackle. Cause like, if you're getting desperate and like you're sitting there and you're like, Oh man, dude, they're they're gonna jump us, right? If if Cleveland doesn't take Tyler Smith, they're sitting right there. Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City. I mean, San Fran might need a right tackle with McGlinchey. You know, yep. they don't. You know, long term, who knows with them? And then you've got Houston sitting there with back to back fourth rounders. Like they might not want to wait till one fifteen for Abraham Lucas. So if they take him at ninety six, like 
I think that's okay. I personally, like in terms of like my board, I probably wouldn't do it, but he'd be the best tackle on the board, most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, like I saw somebody say he NFL Network really started saying he was he was flirting with the first round, and yeah. I about fell out of my seat. Even Brandon Thorne and I were both like, "Huh?" <laughs> like I was like, I thought I liked him as like a developmental day three guy. Like first round, I I truth be told, I think that's that's where PFF comes in because like he has a very 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 high grading from them on their pass blocking efficiency metrics and stuff like that but yep. again pff grades with o-line are very bad uh, they'll just they'll just say that they don't encompass everything with it um but abraham lucas i think is probably the best scheme fit they're going to get uh, if they don't get raymond I, yeah. I think he's the one tackle that makes the most sense. I could talk. I, I think Max Mitchell works too. Spencer Bureford, I could talk myself into as well. Uh, Kellen Deesh, I like, but I don't like. I that I would feel really hesitant about him being the long term right tackle answer. I think he's just a solid depth tackle. Yeah, he's got um, a weird body type. Yeah, it, it. I will tell you, I've seen some draft hype on Nicholas Petit Frere. I, I there, there are some days where I could talk myself into it, but I he can't. just has like no play strength. Like that play strength is just so he's always on the ground. Yeah, like he is always on the ground. Like let's, that that Michigan let's, tape was let's brutal. Put, let's put it this way: his tape. So his tape against George Karloftis is one of the big reasons why I am not very high on George Karloftis because <laughs> if he can shut down Karloftis that really kind of tells you how big a, a, a gap Karloftis is going to run into when he gets against longer tackles because his power was completely negated and Petit Ferrer has like no play strength. Petit Ferrer is... I thought his film at right tackle was better and there will probably be a team that will talk themselves into him because he's like... He's got the pedigree. He's a five-star six, five, guy. Yeah. yeah, he's like 6'5", 320. He can Pretty move good well. Yep. Yeah, like there'll be a team that talks like, and he's long. You mentioned that. I think he came in with thirty-four inch arms, like thirty-four and a half. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Um, like arms, like he's he's, he's got some decent length. Uh, like there'll be a team that talks themselves into him. I think anything higher than like four or five is too high. Yeah, but again, NFL reaches for tackles all the time well, it's their favorite pastime because they and, can't evaluate them well and the problem the and not the problem but like the thing that'll work in his favor in terms of his draft position is that he has all the stuff that you want except for play strength which gives a coach <laughs> like well i can see a coach basically saying we'll just get him in a weight room we'll get him fine you know and again yeah. maybe it works out maybe it doesn't but he is a guy that would make me pretty nervous if the bron if that's the plan I am mm-hmm. going to be nervous until we see him play. And, you know, hopefully he does get stronger. But uh, I yeah. want to move to the interior uh, just because we you talked about it a little bit. And, again, the Broncos did bring in Dylan Parham, Cole Strange, and Cam Jurgens, uh, all three of whom I like, all three of whom make a lot of sense in terms of fit, all three of whom would probably knock Lloyd Cushenberry out of a starting job. Yeah. If, if Cushenberry is even the starting Yes. Center. It could, so, it could be Glasgow for all we know. Agreed. So um, I want to talk first in terms of need. Interior offensive line is weird 
Because if you just at first glance, you look at the Broncos roster, it does not look like a need. Uh, the Broncos have invested quite heavily into their interior in the last three seasons. They have Graham Glasgow. They have Dalton Reisner. They have Natani Muti. They have uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, and then they have uh, Quinn Miners. But the, the change to a new running game is going to presumably change up what they're looking for a little bit. On top of that, Dalton Reisner's contract runs out after this year, and there's no guarantee that Broncos are going to give him a big extension. Uh, and then the fact that the Broncos are actually bringing in these offensive linemen does kind of hint that they're looking for starters. Yep. Like, it would be one thing if they were bringing in like Luke Fortner and like James MP and Dawson Deaton, right? Like guys like that who are going to be day three backup centers. They're bringing in the big guys. They're bringing outside of Linderbaum because there's no shot they're going to lay Linderbaum. No. Uh, I mean, I know Creed Humphrey slipped. Linderbaum's if, if not Linderbaum, if, Yeah, if, if Linderbaum somehow falls even close to it, you move up and go get him. Yeah. He's, I would, su- he, he's, he's such a great fit for their new offense that I'm like, yeah, I don't care what you have to go up, go up and get him. Well, I would uh, but, say, I, but I know I'm also like very heavily offensive minded. Offensive line minded. I would say though that that's one of the reasons why I like Cam Jurgens is because I think Cam Jurgens gives you like a day, like a late day two version of day what two you're version getting. of Tyler Linderbaum. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, honestly, he, for a long time, he was considered a day three guy. I know PFF still has him there on their mock stuff, but it's looking like, again, according to like the consensus boards, he is now basically moved into that late round two or late round yeah, three I, conversation. And I wouldn't hate it. I have, I have him the second center in the draft. I have him as the second highest. Truth be told, like I think I saw a couple of people say he was going. Like I think Dane has him in the second round, mm-hmm. um, or it's like a second round grade. I'm not. I don't quite remember. Um, I don't remember. I thought Z- Zerline had him a high too, but I could be wrong there. Like he's he's a really 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 good player, and I know a lot of O line people will vouch for him. Like Duke Duke Manyway, they're just um has has repeatedly talked about um jurgens and i i i think the world of jurgens i think he's i think he's a starting caliber center right away i think he in that outside zone offense that they're wanting to run i think he would start right away i think in the broncos offense he would be an upgrade over lake cushionberry pretty quickly uh i do think that you're gonna have some issue in terms of play strength but like in this offense the center is protected a little bit by what they're doing with the guards and I think he's a good enough blocker in space to kind of make up for that in a way that Cushenberry doesn't. Uh, so I do think that he will probably beat out Cushenberry. The question would be if he can beat out Glasgow. Cause I, again, we have no idea what the coaching staff thinks of where Glasgow is going. Um, but I do think Glasgow offers a little bit more play strength, probably not quite the same athlete, uh, probably a little bit sturdier in pass pro just from an anchor standpoint. But again, I don't know if that's what they want. Yeah. Yeah. I, when with, like Jurgens, if we're keeping on with Jurgens, like I, because it, because it sounds like they're wanting to keep Quinn Miners at right guard. Yep, that has been I, I don't like it because it's his third spot in two years, basically. Um, but I think yeah, I, I thought he would, he should have been the starting center last year. Agreed. So as long as he's in the starting lineup, I, I'm fine with it wherever I, they want to put him. I was one of the few people in Broncos country that was saying that he when they drafted him. I, when I, they drafted him, I said that Lloyd Cushenberry is now on watch. And then immediately after that draft, they said that they saw him as a center. And to me, I was like, okay, well, Quinn Miners is going to start over Cushenberry. 
unless you, full season unless yeah. you think the mental aspect of it was too much for him and i guess they did but in terms of just yeah. on the field in terms of like blocking and actual yeah. It wasn't close. Quinn Miners is a oh, much no. better player than Quinn, Quinn Miners was. He blew him out the water. Even 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 as a rookie, still learning how to play center, he was better at quick at pointing things out and everything like that. Like he was, his ability to process and pick up stunts, even as a rookie, was like well ahead of the curve. And it was something that yeah, I know Russell Wilson complimented Lloyd Cushenberry on it, but I just think that was more of like a generic. Oh, he's a center. I better mention him for something a center does <laughs> kind of thing that. It's one of those things and it's one of those things with Russell Wilson that you almost have to kind of look at everything he says through like the prism that we used to treat Von Miller stuff because Russell Wilson knows how to play the media. He's going to talk guys up. He's not going to ever say anything that's a negative sound. You're never going to say anything negative about your teammates or anything. That's a good, that's being a good leader. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's not going to go out there and be like, oh yeah, Cushenberry. No, I don't trust him. Like he's, he's terrible. Like he's not, he's not, nobody's going to come out and say that, but like, you get what you're saying though. He's, he's going to say something positive about a player that probably won't start. Um, I think if you draft Jurgens at like 75 or 96 or even like Parham, uh, Cole strange, I have as a guard, I could talk myself into him being a center. I think um, his best spot be is probably guard. Um, yeah. And I, in the, I think you could probably pass off Luke Fortner as a center in the outside in their system. And I think Zach Tom could as well. I think all I think really all five of those guys can play center for him. Donovan West, I know is probably a center just because of the way the NFL will treat guys like that. Like so I there's a there's good centers, but I, I think Cam Jurgens is probably your best bet to start right away. Mm-hmm. Him and Parham would probably start right away. Um I think if you have a in the interior of Reisner, a hopefully rebounded Reisner, Cam Jurgens and Quinn Miners. That is an, pardon my French here for listeners, that is an ass kicking trio of interior offensive linemen. Like that, those guys will come in and absolutely kick the snot out of opposing defensive line. Like that winning up front. I mean, look at, look at how the Packers have won. Like they've gotten really good guard play. Yep. Over the last few years, I mean, John Runyon Jr. I thought this year was exceptional. Elton Jenkins has been really good. Like they, when you win up in the trenches and you win up front, like that is so valuable. I mean, look at, at, the, at the Bucks. Look at what the Chiefs. I mean, holy smokes, the the Chiefs have Joe Tooney, and Creed Humphrey. Like the, having those guys on the interior of your offensive line, setting the tone up front, and opening up these holes, like. If you get Cam Jurgens or somebody like that, that, that's Russell Wilson's best interior, like, well, ever. And, I mean, like, and the other part of that is too, though, because you have Russell Wilson, you can afford to grab a young center because yeah. Russell Wilson has the mental capacity to handle pre-snap stuff without having to delegate that off to his his center. Yeah, yeah, like, like that's if they were drafting a rookie, that's where you go. Okay. They'll yeah. probably put Graham Glasgow there. Yeah. Right. Like I, I think having a veteran center is so important for young quarterbacks. And I would and, say, and it's, and it's the opposite with Russell Wilson now because like you can trust him enough to handle a lot of those responsibilities. And it's not like Cam Jurgens or Dylan Parham or any of these guys are dumb. 
per se and they can't handle it. Oh, it's just a lot. It's but, a lot, it's but a lot it's, of complexity. Yeah, adjusting adjusting into an NFL speed is gonna take time for anybody. Unless you're Creed Humphrey, who was just an all pro, like <laughs> right out of the gate. <laughs> right. Um, but like Creed Humphrey was also like photographic memory genius. Well, so like you can't expect every center to do that. Well, then he also had Patrick Mahomes. And I and, and yeah, the yeah. thing with Quinn Miners and Lloyd Cushenberry, I know we talked about this last preseason, but that might have also been one of the factors that really helped Lloyd Cushenberry start is the fact that the Broncos did. They were having a competition at quarterback and there was a possibility that Drew Locke was playing and they may have felt more comfortable with Cushenberry there than a rookie in, in front of Locke. Um, Maybe. Which brings us to the last position I think we need to touch on and quarterback two. I think you, I think we can't sleep on it being a need just because mm-hmm. Josh Johnson is 36 or he's going to be 36 very soon. Uh, Brett Rippon is back for one year. Uh, they had him on the practice squad last year and then they signed him to the active roster because they thought that the Steelers were going to sign him um, and they brought him back, but he's on a one year contract. And so like after this year, there, there's no, there's no backup to Russell Wilson after this year unless they keep one of those two. Uh, so, it could be a need. It could make sense to grab a developmental backup somewhere in this draft. Uh, yeah. I personally hope if they do that, they do not do it until day three, unless, like, if and again, it won't happen. But if Sam Howell falls to the third round, I, I could probably consider it. Kenny Pickett is somehow there in the third round again. Will not happen. Yeah, I could buy it. But but barring something hey, I, like I don't that, think they should I don't think they should spend anything higher than a six. Like no, I don't either. I, no, I don't in a general sense, I agree. Um, because I don't think these quarterbacks are so good that it makes sense. And I think NFL history unequivocally shows that drafting a quarterback on day two is almost always a waste of draft picks. Yeah. Well, I mean you can you could turn them around to trade for a you know future Hall of Famer later on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, or you can you know pick up a, a couple picks like the Patriots did with Jimmy G. Um, like I, I, there's a few solid day two like, or not day two day three quarterbacks that I could talk myself into in the sixth. Um, it's pretty sparse. Like you have the first five guys right: Pickett, Willis, Ritter, Corral, and Howell. Carson Strong is probably gonna slip to day three. Um. Bailey Zappi is definitely a day three quarterback. And then you've got like Jack Cohn and uh, Caleb Ellaby, Cole Kelly, uh, EJ Perry. I think I already just said EJ Perry. Um, like Skylar Thompson. Like if you want to take one of those guys in six or seven, go for it. Right. Like it, it I think it, it's like taking a punter. Like it, it's, it's fine. It's not going to move the needle either way. It's, 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 a, it's a, just a whatever move. Um, Cause hopefully you'll never need to use them, right? <laughs> like the goal, the goal of drafting a backup quarterback or a punter is you hope you use them as little as possible. Yep. <laughs> so so, so it, it's, it's fine. I would probably, I think Ellaby given his connections to the staff, I think makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. he, because his, his former offensive coordinator is now the tight ends coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and coincidentally that offensive coordinator, that was when he had his best year. So like I, I I think that makes a lot of sense for the team, and he's not going. He's not a developmental in the sense of taking like a Davis Webb who's got like who had like a, a huge arm. He's a nice solid backup, and I think that that's fine for a seventh round pick. Like it's it's whatever. 
Um, it's, it's like taking Geno Smith, right? Like, you're signing Geno Smith, rather, right? Like, you're just, you're getting a backup, and that's it. You're, and that's fine. Well, I think a lot of times when you're taking, when you're looking at quarterbacks and you're trying to evaluate them as a backup versus as, like, if you're drafting a guy hoping that he can develop into a starter, there are certain traits that you need. Uh, like, arm talent is a lot more important if you know that, like, if all breaks right, this guy is a 16 game, 16 plus, well, 17 game plus starter for us. You need him to be able to make throws. You need him to, you know, have the, the, the mobility to make plays out of structure. If you're looking right. for a backup with a quarterback like Russell Wilson on the roster. And again, obviously, you know, things go wrong. You're still playing that guy, but in terms of eval, the most important things you're looking for are that guy's mental capacity, what he can do in terms of like helping in the room as a backup who basically never plays. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing that an accuracy, because if he does have to come onto the field, you're, you're probably not throwing a lot, but when mm -hmm. you have to throw, you need that guy to be able to hit them. Yeah. And like, if, if you're aiming for like the stereotypical backup, I think EJ Perry makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I compared him to, I thought he was like the perfect Brian Hoyer quarterback. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I, I think Brian Hoyer is a good backup quarterback. And he's got, he apparently just has uh, coaches just rave about. I've, I've talked to several scouts who just, he has impressed so many people with his interviews and his intelligence. Like he's got good in, intangibles is the word you would use, right? Yeah. Like, and he's, he's smart. I think he's a pretty solid player, like playmaker. Um, like, it's you know that's that's fine for a backup you just okay. it's just it's a backup like and that's and it, it, i'm not ruling it out but i think that is to a lesser extent what you're hoping for with ripon in terms of he brings enough to the room without having to play that he's worth keeping around uh yeah. and and to this point it seems like that's why he's been sticking around because when he's played he has clear physical limitations that are just, you're not going to probably ever outplay those. Hey, hey, he's the winningest quarterback in NFL history. You know, it's true. He does, he's never lost a start, man. Like, but, man, for the Brett Ripping QB one takes that year were glorious. That that's probably my favorite draft Twitter bit is Brett Ripon. You just, you can't quit a guy like Brett Ripon, <laughs> so, even if he should be in the XFL, but so before, um, before I let you go, I want to, I want to do a quick exercise and just, uh, sure. So okay. I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I would say the Broncos first five picks. Cause once we get into the late day three, we're kind of just gambling. Uh, okay. but in terms of the picks, I want you to give me one or maybe two positions that you would draft at that position. Again, you don't necessarily have to give me players. If you want to, you can, um, but like just pie in the sky, the guys that are like reasonable to expect to be there. What would you look to do? Does that make sense? No, but I think I'll figure it out. Okay. So for example, <laughs> I'll give you an example. Okay. So for me, 64, for me, 64, I want the Broncos to look at a defensive lineman or an edge. Okay. If they're okay. there. Okay. Uh, because I, I think that that there's enough fall off after that spot for the defensive line. I think that that is where you go. If you're going to grab a guy, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. So, so I'll give you 64 first. Yep. Yeah. At 64, I would probably go with an edge or corner. Okay. I, I, I feel like those are the Broncos' two biggest needs outside of right tackle, and we'd already talked about 
the offensive tackle situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are going to be your best players available. Like even even if you didn't go off of need and just looked at best player available, I think either an edge or a corner is going to be up there. Makes sense. 75. This is where I would probably go for a center. Okay. I, I, I think if either a center or the one position you didn't take earlier, mm-hmm. um, this is probably the range where I look for like a Marcus Jones. Um, but again, not specific players, but I think right, 75 yeah. is your 75 is your sweet spot for taking a Cam Jurgens or a Dylan Parham. How about 96? Yeah, like uh, running back. Like this is this is this is truly like the best, just whatever is like the best available or a trade down. Uh, I feel like 96 is just kind of there. Could, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like if if you get an edge in a corner at ninety six, you can just take whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, this this would be where I take a at, at at some capacity. I would this is the first spot I would take an offensive playmaker. Okay, whether it's a running back or it's a tight end or it's a receiver. I I've, I've seen a lot of receiver needs, not necessarily a need, but wanting to build the depth out. I could see them. They would be a little rich for me, but if they're wanting to go four wide receiver looks, they need it. Um, like that would be an area there, but yeah, outside of, yeah. So one fifteen and one sixteen are back to back. So what would you do at the very beginning of the fourth round? This would be the range where I start to consider a linebacker. Okay. That this is, this is where I, I would look at a linebacker. Um, whether it's, you get a falling Demon Clark or you know, whoever. Um, and this would also this would also be an area where I would take a, a defensive lineman, your your five techs, wherever they are, or, or like a rotational a nose slash three technique. Uh, it, it maybe at the next spot, take a safety mm-hmm. if the right one fell. Like a, like if a Brian Cook was there, I'd I'd take him there at one fifteen. Um, outside of that. If you don't feel comfortable with something like I, I, I could convince I could talk myself into adding another corner slash edge, whatever I took at 64 mm-hmm. here as well. Uh, but yeah, that's it to me. I think the fourth round is where you just start striking at, at darts, really. And then my last question What is the worst thing in your mind that the Broncos could do at 64? Oh gosh, it's draft a linebacker, <laughs> draft a tight end linebacker. Um, I, I running back, I could sort of talk myself into, but I'd probably just laugh at it. Um, I mean, like safety with Jalen Petrie, I probably, I don't, I think Jalen Petrie's a good player. I don't know if he's the right player for the Broncos. Um, like it's really hard to mess up that in tackle. Like if they reach for a big tackle prospect, that would be rough. Martin Emerson at 64 confirmed. I, I would probably just, I I think I'm supposed to go live on Twitch that yeah. day. I think I I I just end the stream. I I feel like they're not winning anything. Goodbye. They they, <laughs> they they didn't want me to do live stuff this year in case the Broncos do something stupid. So, <laughs> but I it's really hard to mess up 64. It it would be. It'd be pretty hard to mess up 64, especially with with. The faith that Peyton has bought himself through his actions, like 
and again, we don't know what positional value they placed because yeah, they drafted a corner over a quarterback last year and then dra- traded up for a running back and then yep. a linebacker followed soon after. Like, like we don't know. And a center. Like yeah. center guard. And but... a center guard. Yeah. And, and you know, center is the second center is the second most valuable position, but it's it's whatever, you know. <laughs> Uh, but like you know it, it we don't know what Peyton is going to do with the new staff and if the new staff is as analytics minded as what Hackett said he wanted them to be then you know that could reflect in how the front office changes as well so we really don't know so I think it's it's interesting to see like w- at the end of the draft how they approach it what they take and really, because we're just we're there's so many unknowns, and we're not getting a lot of answers to the questions we have right now. Yep, that's probably the most frustrating thing with this whole offseason is it's like they're asking the same questions, and we're not like we're not getting enough answers out of the the room right now. But again, I know NFL teams are secretive, and every team does it, so it's not. But it's like I just want to—I just want to like peek in because George Payton keeps things so close to his chest. Like he doesn't. There's not a lot of leaks. There's not a lot of like whispers out there or everything like anything like that that some other GMs do. Like even when I was researching George Payton, there was hardly anything out there about him because he's, you know, he just he handles his business and that's that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just I'm just really curious to see what their next draft looks like because their first one looks pretty successful, all things considered. Agreed. So it's been fun. Uh guys, yeah. if you do not follow AJ on Twitter, go do so. He is at AJ Draft Scout. Go read his stuff at Mile High Report. Yeah, it's it was fun, man. Yeah, man. I love talking draft, so I'm game all the time for it. Hopefully the Broncos have a really good draft. And then the next time we talk, we can kind of go over the fact that the Broncos are now Super Bowl contenders because they have the best <laughs> draft class in the league again. Yeah. Cave yeah. <laughs> on Thibodeau to 64. Let's manifest it, everybody. 